Hello, everyone. Welcome to Weekly Manga Recap. It's July the 14th of 2021. Oh, that's nice. 7, 14, 21. Math. There hey. you go. Yeah. It's a it's a really good uh, day for all you math nerds out there. All you so me, So me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we are going to be suspending our usual weekly mathematical uh, recap uh, podcast in order to talk about manga instead today. So I hope that there are no objections to that. Um. Yeah, no, we're going to be cool this week, right? Yeah, so I think that uh, there might be some confusion because for most of the past several months, we've been talking about ITLC, which of course dealt with imaginary numbers in a way that mm. made perfect sense in the context that it was presented mm. in and did not at all lose the meaning of what imaginary numbers actually are. Uh, so, yeah, here we are to talk about not that because it's over. And we have better series in its place, right, Nick? As, as, asterisk next to better uh, i think so. yeah uh, de definitely definitely we have a lot of manga to talk about though we're not gonna be talking yeah. about destroy all humanity that'll probably be next week um but we haven't put down enough land to summon it yet exactly so. uh they they're playing land destruction because they're assholes so it's taking us a while <laughs> to, to get back yeah, there's a reason why that mechanic is just not in magic anymore. Or if it is, it's on such a small level as to be non-existent. Oh, boy. It's been fun reading it, but we are not quite uh, pre fully prepared to discuss it. But I think you guys are going to tune in next week when we do talk about uh, mm -hmm. Destroy All Humanity. It can't be regenerated. If you have not been reading it, uh, you've got some more time to catch up. So you're prepared for our discussion. Yeah. So instead, we're just going to be going into our usual series that we tend to do stuff for recap, but uh, no One Piece this week. It's, I mean, I think it's a rare week these days where like every single series that we talk about is lined up, considering that two of them are only every other week and then Black Clover and One Piece are like three on one off. I mean, seems. even when you get to the irregular stuff, too, I mean, it's just the fact that like world trigger and boruto are never going to basically be in the same episode because one comes out at the start of the month and the next one comes out towards the end of the month you know considering that the majority of the stuff that we put out is all like under the same umbrella there's probably not going to be a point where they all align but if they do then we're going to be screwed it's just yeah. going to be oh we have 17 series to discuss guys so. what well, i had to go back and think i'm trying to remember what the record of series we talked about in a single week was because i feel like if you exclude recommendations i feel like it was like 17 series at one point uh, we got pretty close to that at some point i know for a fact we did 15 yeah uh, so that's not too much more of a i like stretch. the ua shirt oh thank you there you go I like the striped shirt. Thank it you. Doesn't <laughs> <laughs> have to be the same. Uh, speaking of UA, though, uh, My Hero Academia is where we're going to start things off. Chapter number 319. Friend. <laughs> you know, that chapter title actually is pretty lame when you consider <laughs> the context of the chapter. <laughs> You know, He's our friend. You almost want a more poetic or kind of majestic title and just like it's a chapter about friendship. What do we call it? Friend. Even even something cliche like friend in need or something like something that. Along those lines, yeah. yeah. Friend. <laughs> <laughs> um we open at UA 
where uh, we're in the 1A dorm. And uh, this is a few days after Deku left that note for everyone saying, by the way, I'm the holder of one for all and I don't want you guys in danger. Goodbye. I'm going to go get myself in trouble a lot. And uh, so, of course, everyone in the class is like, uh, so where where do you think he is? And uh, Bakugo, Todoroki and Tokuyami, who are, of course, all working for the top three pros, uh best genus and endeavor and hawks have a working theory that deku is now working with them which of course we know is true and bakugo tears up the note that deku left for everyone to show that he's angry because he's got to constantly be expressing anger in some form or another so this is just a way that he can do it while still having a, a you know a constructive discussion about. I was say we we know the dude screams die plaque when he brushes his teeth, so the kid's yeah. just extra a hundred percent of the time. He can't do anything at a normal speed. You think that occasionally, like he delays delivering boring news until he can find some sort of prop that he can be destructive with. Uh, yeah, probably. I, I feel like he, he's like I got to call the doctor's office, or I could write a note asking for an appointment. And throw a brick through their window with that attached. <laughs> and that would get my point across much angrier. I've been having this weird this weird pain in my arm. <laughs> <laughs> or like, uh, you know, someone just like Bakugo walks into a room and then he like breaks the legs off the off of one of the chairs. Like, I did the laundry today. You're welcome. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so they word this by saying, like, by the way, this is just kind of like our best working theory. So Ida says, oh, so you guys can't confirm. And they say, yeah, uh, we can't get in contact with the pros that we've been working with. Uh, and we feel like they're keeping secrets from us. And uh, Jiro then brings up, yeah, now you mentioned also All Might's been missing for a while now. Uh, we also get just, you know, a little bit of helpful exposition, which is classes at UA are suspended right now. We're all currently being kept as first years. So they're not second year students, even though in the timeline, by this point, they would have graduated and moved up to the next year just based on how school years work in Japan. So that theory I brought up like one or two weeks ago about like Deku getting replaced. Yeah, no, there's no, no, don't worry about that. Don't worry about that. No, nope. they're all 1A. Shut up. <laughs> um, so they established this. Uh, Bakugo brings up like, yeah, we saw that there were the people going to meet Deku when we were at the hospital. And then we also got this letter. And he brings up, you know, if he's been staying away from UA, who the hell snuck all these letters to us? If he hasn't been here, it was probably all my before he left. Uh, so they say, OK, that's nice but you know if that in that case then that means that you know all might's with deku all those other heroes are working with him why should we be worried about that bakugo says compared to endeavor and the others i know deku and all might better than anyone this is the worst scenario i can think of because I, they're all working together to go after all for one I guess. I think it's the idea that Deku is going to keep putting himself in danger and All Might can't stop him. He, like, I think I think he knows at this point that, in De that All Might just has too many maternal feelings or parental feelings, rather, 
and does not know how to get a hold of Deku. Yeah, they don't uh, have that. I'm your peer and I can be a dick to you without feeling you feeling like I'm talking down to you kind of relationship, which is how Bakugo talks to everyone. So, yeah. uh, so but everyone seems to be on board with this. And so they're like, OK, what do we do about this? So Uraraka is the one who comes up with the idea. Endeavor is a UA alum. So let's force the issue. And we see that a few days later, Principal Nezu called Endeavor in for some meeting thing. I don't know. He's like, <laughs> maybe he does what like what like my old university does every now and then. Just like, by the way, do you want to come in and donate? So that can you can give us more money? More money. <laughs> It's been a while since you've given us money. Would would you like to do so again? Well, it's been a while since I graduated with this worthless degree that I paid so much more. Yes, but (laughs) would you like to give us more for nothing? (laughs) So, I don't know, maybe Endeavor came came here to tell Desu's like, shut the fuck up. (laughs) He shows up, he's just like, so you're promised I'll get the role of Tevya in the <laughs> the school's production of Fiddler on the Roof. You're promising me that. <laughs> hey, wait a minute. <laughs> you're just trying to use this to confront me. Is there even a production of Fiddler on the Roof? Wait a minute. None of those 20 kids look Jewish. <laughs> Except my son. <laughs> so... Um, Nezu just cops up immediately once the kids arrive in his office behind Endeavor to confront him and says, yeah, they talked to me about this. And, and I was like, yeah, uh, that sounds like a good idea. <laughs> so I did it. <laughs> because I'm the most reasonable teacher character in the series, basically. <laughs> so Todoroki gets really, you know, confrontational with Endeavor saying, I thought we were going to stop Toya together. Um, and Endeavor starts to start kind of being avoidant with the on the issue saying oh well you're willingness alone means the world to me and Todoroki says it doesn't mean anything to me without action and also he brings up why does Midoriya get to go out and risk his life on this instead of anyone else that this should apply to so and then he's like also I'm pretty sure that you are letting All Might work together with Deku uh then Bakugo steps forward because Endeavor doesn't have an answer to this because he didn't expect to be confronted by a room full of 15-year-olds. Uh, and Bakugo says, in any other situation, this was the right move, but you don't know the first thing about Deku. He screwed up in the head. I should know. I told him to kill himself when we were 12. <laughs> <laughs> Look at that weirdo. <laughs> uh but he says, you know, he never takes himself into account and he just says crap like I'm fine. And all might became the symbol of peace with the same mindset. So he's not going to be the one who will, who's going to stop Deku. You can't leave the two of them alone with each other. Not them. And Endeavor doesn't really have anything to say in answer to this uh, because he and Hawks and Best Genius were kind of talking about this before. How, like, yeah, Deku's kind of cut himself off, and we don't really have a means of keeping up with him because his stupid number of quirks lets him move around too quickly. So, Endeavor kind of, I think, deliberately takes out the device that he's been using to keep uh, in touch with Deku up to this point. 
because he didn't seem to be holding it out before, and now he is. Uh, but he might just be looking at it to just kind of glance at it. But then Sarah says, does that thing have GPS tracking? And Endeavor just kind of like, doesn't say anything and just holds still. And he so knows exactly bunch- what's about to happen. Now there's a moment, like, he's just like, he's fucking kids. <laughs> so either he did this on purpose or in this moment where Sarah asked this question, he was like, I'm going to say nothing and pretend that I'm doing this on purpose. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, I think it's an intentional move, but who knows? It would be great if he was just like, I want to check how my farm was doing, but I, I assume they're just going to do this anyway. <laughs> yeah. I've, uh, I've got a bunch of, uh, thing. I've got a bunch of formulas brewing right now. And it's important that like, I, I know that, you know, you're supposed to just like put it down and come back to it later, but I like to, you know, minimize the time in between starting it and starting the next one, because otherwise you just have to pay money in order to start a bunch of them at once. And I don't make enough money as the number one hero in, co- in the country to justify spending. <laughs> Look kids. These cookies ain't going to click themselves. Save your fucking friend and then get out of here. Uh, so uh, a bunch of people are, you know, saying like, okay, we're going to get this and we're going to follow them. And Ida says, of course, being the good old class president, we of class A intend to find him, follow him and work alongside him. No matter how great a burden one for all may be, Midoriya is our friend. And we can't very well be expected to go smiling into the future, knowing that our friend is walking this thorny path alone. And everyone's like, yeah, what he said, but less dorky. <laughs> oh, come on. He's dorky now? Ida? <laughs> he's always been Mr. Cool. <laughs> it's like the third coolest moment he's had in this series. The other two was when he was trying to kill a person. <laughs> Endeavor starts to warn them, you know, saying like, hey, it's dangerous to go alone because of the all the anarchy out there. And Nezu comments, you've certainly matured, Todoroki, given that the villains now pursue him and he wished to leave UA. I authorized the team up. However, he's free to return to us at any time. From the moment a student is accepted into this school, they fall under our protection. But I'm not going anywhere, just so you know. I've got shit to do. I have so much paperwork to file, especially because I keep eating it. Uh, it's <laughs> Hamsters do that. I don't know if you guys ever heard that. <laughs> um, weirdly enough, um, when he mentions this, Uraraka flashes back to when she got accepted into UA. Um, and I know that it's like, it's supposed to be like a connecting thing of this is how meaningful this is, but it's a weird thing to think about considering that Deku is the one that they're concerned about in this moment. I think it's a notion that all the kids are supposed to feel it. And we're just looking at it through the rent, the lens of Uraraka's experience because she, I guess is the, one of the two most notable. It's a weird shot, but I guess it's, their way of being like, look, everybody was so happy to get in, and there's a reason for it. It's because we're very mm-hmm. dedicated to protecting all of you students. I know that sounds weird because we really fucked up like the last year of it, but now, now we're gonna do it. The focus on a lot of the members of Class One A 
especially ones that are supposed to be like main characters, but don't feel like it a large majority of the time has been frustrating at times, but I do appreciate that they are straight up saying, look, the whole class is going to go after Deku. So even if we're not going to focus on all of them, they as a unit are actually important now. And that is, and th- I feel like that comment of Nezu's is a nice way of establishing this is why it's important that specifically the class is going to go and try and help their friend. Mm. Also, they have been living together for months at this point, so they've grown closer to him. Yeah, they so. celebrated Christmas and everything. Yeah. You can't celebrate Christmas with people you don't care about. That right? doesn't happen. No, no. It's all every Christmas ever has been a fond memory across the world universally. Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, Nezu also brings up some other stuff about, hey, we're using got to use the improved security system at the school to, you know, help out other people. Um, and but and he also mentions at the very at the tail end of this. You know, All Might was a, is a, is a, was a student at our school, too. So it's important that, like, we have that, you know, protection offered to him as well. Just kind of establishing, like, I know you're all grown up, but you're still my children. Kind of uh, vibe to it. So anyway, Bakugo in the last chapter had found Deku and he alerted everyone that he had found him. And we see them all arriving. A, a, a large number of the crowd of people who were taken under the puppeteer villain's control are kind of gathered around Deku, like checking on him and stuff, which is a nice thing. Like, oh, I'm sorry we were going to literally pull you limb from limb. Are you okay, kid? It's nice that this many of them have a heart. Mm-hmm. Um, Yairozu ka- congratulates Bakugo on capturing the villain. But Bakugo says to make sure to call him Great Explosion Murder God Dynamite, which I think is slightly different from the title that he first introduced himself with. I might be wrong about that, but he's very particular about it. Yeah. Uh, All the other people who were taken in by the puppets run away. Uh, And Deku's like, why is everyone here? And Araka says, we're worried about you. And Deku, covered in his own filth and blood and uh, and tattered uniform is like but i'm fine <laughs> everyone's like oh you smell what's up you stink <laughs> dude what's going on everyone calls you smelly <laughs> why does your fucking costume look so goddamn crusty like holy shit because i look dark and cool no you don't you look Put smelly laundry <laughs> <laughs> you look smelly uh, and disheveled that's what you look like <laughs> So Deku tells everyone, no, you don't have to worry. Just get away from me. But Bakugo sarcastically applauds him because this is the one way that he knows to snap Deku out of things is by being an asshole because that's the only way he knows how to act, which is, oh, yeah, all hail the mighty inheritor of one for all. But tell us, are you smiling now? Remember how important that's supposed to be, right? Yeah. Yeah. Deku says, those smiles... Everyone's peace of mind. Those are the reasons I need to keep going. So get out of my way. And uh, Baku is like, oh, cool. We're going to fight. <laughs> so <laughs> that's, that's basically where we end the chapter. 
it seems as though there is going to be at least an abbreviated confrontation between Deku and the rest of his class. Uh, I've seen some people saying, like, why does this need to happen? The answer, because Horikoshi Sensei knows how Western comics work. That's why. So Yeah, I was going to say, I, I, I just watched a Black Widow movie, and not to spoil anything, but the first time Black Widow meets her sister, they have a fight, and you're like, it's one of those things that happens, and then very quickly afterwards they talk, and you're like, oh, if you guys had just started by talking, you would have immediately dissolved. Like, why does Iron Man and Thor have to have a fight in the original Avengers? Like, because at some point in the pitch meeting, they said, Iron Man and Thor are going to fight each other, and that's what's going to sell people. Like, one of the original concept arts for Age of Ultron was Hulk fighting the Hulkbuster armor. And it's just like, look, we may not know how we're getting there yet. But it's going to happen. People want to see it. So I guess we just want to see if Deku can completely clown Class 1A or not. Yeah. I hope not, considering that he, five minutes ago, was so tired that he couldn't come up with a plan of how to disable a guy surrounded by a bunch of regular people. And then Baku went in as a bet. Yeah, so. but remember, like, half a Class 1B or 1A is lame, though. Like, they're all terrible. So, like, he really only has to beat out, like, three people. Okay, it's Odro. <laughs> yeah, he's number one. Yes, yeah. <laughs> what if that's that's how the fight unfolds? Like they're like, okay, he can't take on all nineteen of us. He just grabs Odro by the tail and puts him in a headlock. They're like, okay, hold on, Deku. We all right. We're not gonna fight you. Okay, you can go. <laughs> Deku wins and <laughs> just runs away. <laughs> but guys, my tail. <laughs> I could have taken him, you know, with my tail. Yeah, I could grab people. Like he could summon out whips that grab people. I don't. <laughs> what does it matter? Yeah, he literally grew a tail to fight you with his black whip ability just to clown you. Like he doesn't usually do that. So, like, this was one of the first chapters I read this week, mm-hmm. and at the time I was like, "This is a pretty good chapter," just because I was kind of excited to see all the class one A characters again and have them feel like they're somewhat relevant. Uh, I think after that, I read a lot more chapters, and I was like, oh, it's I don't think it's one of the best chapters this week. It's a good one, but I don't think it's one of the best. I do think it's a weird tone to leave off on, because I'm like, I'm, I was one of those people that's just like, I don't understand why the fuck they're about to have a fight. Like, I know why, because Deku's a moody little twerp right now and they need yes. to knock some sense into him but it's just one of those things of like i i loathe heroes fighting each other for no reason mm-hmm. yes so if you're sick of that trope i'm sure that this setup has got you going why uh but also like you said um i am excited that they are actually making a big deal of like hey these guys these characters that have kind of been represented as a big part of the series but in terms of plot relevance have never really been given that nod it's nice to see them getting this spotlight and we'll see how far that goes uh, yeah with uh, the upcoming stuff all right let's talk about undead unluck chapter 71 or number 71 rather to love and we open with a panel from yumi the manga in universe manga that fuko really likes uh, and we see that in that universe, this entire story, which was basically a giant future telling prophecy about uh, Andy and Foucault's relationship, uh, is being portrayed as a guy who's okay to touch her 
because she has a bunch of germs, and that's the way they kind of translated the unluck ability, which is somewhat interesting. Um, it's a little bit of a that doesn't quite make sense <laughs> as a stand-in, but okay, whatever. Yeah, close enough. Because he just says, "Oh, uh, your germs will make me sick. That's okay. I'm covered in germs. I'm already very sickly." <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so Tatiana shows up, she sets down a whole bunch more copies of it, and they seem to be in some kind of nondescript, that's, uh... Latla, rather, sorry, yeah, uh, nondescript warehouse place with no windows or anything. Uh, so immediately, Latla's just like, so what, what's gonna happen? Are you gonna kill Spring? And she's like, eh, I'll, I'll try. And they're like, yeah, but without unluck or undead there, you really can't, like, call upon big strokes you'd actually have to come to love spring yourself right can you even do it and she just says andy did it he evolved his ability so if i if i can iron out my stubborn preconceptions then i'm sure i can come to love spring too and my strokes of unluck will deliver i was just like you can't fall in love with a uma and she's like eh, you never know i love clothy after all i was like i don't even fucking i don't even want to know what that is clothy who cares <laughs> Uh, but that's why she wanted our copies of Yumi, is because she wanted a refresher course on love. And then Fuku just says, hey, Miss Latla, what do you think it is to love? I mean, you're far more beautiful than me. I bet you have a load of experience. And in this moment, Brawla started writing a fan fiction <laughs> immediately, like it just happened spontaneously. Oh, Miss Latla, want, you, want you want to show me what you think love is? You want to show me? <laughs> There, Nick already started various, off the lines for you. I found various ways to rogue myself so that we can get around the limitation of shipping me sexually <laughs> with anyone. <laughs> uh, she's just like, yeah, you know, I mean, you and Mr. Rip are a pretty cute couple yourselves. It's just, no, we're not. He's a partner. More than a friend, less than a lover. That's all. And he's like, oh, are you, are you sure? He's like, he's just considerate to me, that is. And being who I am... <laughs> I'm doubt, doubt. <laughs> Saw us hit the button. Burn. Uh, I've grown dependent on it, even though it means our relationship goes nowhere. Point is, there's all, there's more than one way two people can end up. And then Lotla sh fucking Rip shows up, and he's wearing the exact same fucking outfit as her. He's just a partner. He's just a partner. We just happened to dress in the exact same outfit today. We just happen to stand closely to each other, you know? Yeah, they they actually just say, that, they're like, no, it's just coincidence. We don't, we're not just dressing up like a couple. We're just, you know, it's just coincidence. Uh, but she's immediately like, hey, thanks for perfecting, uh, protecting me back there. And, oh, could you please tell me where? And it immediately rips like, no, not a chance. You plan on telling Undead uh, somehow. So besides, won't do any good. I just so we're starting to move, didn't I? It's like, move. And then we see like a, a like a warehouse on the side of a cliffside, and then we see teeth surrounding the cliffside, and then we see a giant whale eat the building and the cliff. Base orca. <laughs> <laughs> Immediately, all the lights go out, uh, presumably because the electricity has been cut, and this place has no fucking windows uh, except on the outside. Uh, and Lipper explains, "Yeah, that's Kane." You saw him when we first met, didn't you? He's a giant orca UMA, and we're in his billy right now, building an all. <laughs> and he's so big, he needs two tails. Yes, and they're like, look, you wouldn't even be able to track, like, it's impossible to track down a hideout that's moving through the sea. I wouldn't count anyone coming for you. 
Hey, hey, by the way, got word. The date we'll raid spring is December 24th. So you have until then to un evolve unluck. So later on, Fu goes alone and she says to herself, there's three things I need to do. Uncover Mr. Billy's true intentions, find a way to contact Union and tell them the location of the hideout and the raid date, and then evolve my unluck ability. And she's trying to do that right now, reading all those romantic scenes. And she's just like, Oh, all have been swept off my feet, having my chin nudged up. Almost all of that has come true for me. And now that I've stepped away, it's sinking in even more. I really am in love with Andy. And it's like, okay, we're finally like, as we've continuously gotten closer and closer to the point of like, okay, there's just an established couple and jump right now. It's very sweet. Yeah. Um, and she starts even being a little homesick about Andy because it's only been a day, but she really, really likes the guy. Uh, and she says, I wonder what Mr. Andy would say right now. And someone says, you want to know? <laughs> it's like, who's that? Well, then leave it to me. And it's a watch that's talking. And who should the watch be? But Clothy, who is given to Fuko to go along with her. Uh, and uh, he's a giant clock who's kind of soon soon right now. <laughs> Uh, he's like, I don't know why I'm here. He just put in a request. I don't really want to be here or whatever, but thanks that for having baka. me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so Fuko wipes her eyes and says, looks like my days of piggybacking are far from over. Still, Andy did give me a send off and let me go. So I've got the courage now. I swear I'll do exactly what I have to do. So first up is communication. We're going to tell Andy the date of the raid on spring. So that's the chapter. This is a nice setup chapter. Like I said, it is very nice to just have the very solid, just, yeah, Fuko and Andy just love each other. Yep. They, they just are. And I do appreciate that somebody has found a way to continue the long and shameful tradition of ship tease the main couple in Shonen Jump while also making them a couple. Because, uh, of course, Andy and Fuko have the additional things that are going on between them. Like any time that they try and be physically intimate with each other is going to be complicated because of their respective abilities. And also, uh, the big thing for Andy is that Fuko could kill him. Like yes. that's the goal that they're working towards. It's not that just that they want to be together. So they're relationship arc will still not be complete for probably until the end of the series, which is what Shonen Jump series love to do. Yes. Uh, but yeah, it is, it is very refreshing. It, uh, it didn't start off great, but uh, <laughs> no, we're, we're here now. <laughs> Hooray. <laughs> this is, uh, it, it's gotta be a weird feeling for a lot of people to be like, man, I'm not, did not expect this series to be like this when I first read the first couple chapters to be like, no, just wait. Eventually it becomes one of the most heartwarming relationships to jump. <laughs> yeah. Go back to Jan go back to January 2020 until Nick until past Nick that and he'll be like, What the fuck are you talking about? This is gross. And, and then uh, you have a moment you're just like, Oh, watch out for COVID. <laughs> like you had a you had a chance, but you decided to dunk on yourself for not liking uh, on Dead Unlock when it first <laughs> happened. Investing game stuff right now. fuck! <laughs> <laughs> God damn, you'd be a millionaire. <laughs> okay. But yeah, nice chapter. Let's move on then to Kaiju number eight, chapter 39. We open to uh, a, 
a little bit with uh, Kikoru looking at uh, a message from Captain Mina saying, Kafka Hibino, disposal deferred. Which is fully what you would expect from Mina to say about her childhood bestie not having to die. <laughs> so. Um, but, uh, so there was an odd moment when I started reading this where I looked at Kikoru's face and I was like, oh, wow, has she always looked this weird? And then I realized it's just because she's never looked like she's never looked happy. <laughs> yeah. And so I was like, oh, her eyes no longer fit her face now that she doesn't look angry and determined <laughs> about something. <laughs> uh, but Kikoro kind of like catches herself before she celebrates too much. She's like, OK, you know, this is this is just the start. Now I need to focus on getting stronger because if I don't, I won't be able to stop him if I ever need to. Uh, then a large man comes into the room to meet with her. We get a full idea of just how tall he is immediately afterward, but he's like ducking through the door to meet her. And uh, this is Eiji Hasegawa, the first division's vice captain. He says that he's going to take her to the captain's office. Then we see them outside. He is literally nearly twice her size. He's got probably like between two and three feet on her. So he's a big dude. Yeah, she's also kind of small, I feel like. Yes, she's like average too short for a, a girl. So so uh, we, they, we reestablish the part that, uh, of course, the third division is, you know, sending a bunch of its members off to different divisions so that they receive training. And of course, because the, the base is not in good condition right now. And so Kikoru has been assigned to the first division, which she establishes is indeed Japan's strongest division. And their captain is the strongest division captain. And she just thinks to herself, all right, this is it. I'm going to do everything to make sure that I learn all that I can from him. And so we get this big, grand introduction, double doors opening in front of her. And uh, Hasegawa introduces her to the Japan's Defense Force First Division Captain Gen Naru. And the room is a complete and total pigsty. And Gen is hiding under a comforter playing a video game. And he clearly has not been sleeping for hours and hours and hours because he's grinding in some game. Yeah. All I, I look, I'm just glad they thankfully chose to not show us the bottles that are probably full of his own urine in this room. <laughs> oh, God. So Hasegawa closes the double doors and then he said, just wait here for a moment. <laughs> and then he goes in a lot and he just like hicks Gen over and is like, stop it. I told you to clean up your office because I was going to be here at this time. Again says, oh, yeah, yeah, I heard you. But once I took that info in, whether I put it into practice or not is my choice, right? <laughs> that doesn't make it better. So he starts, like, kind of bullying him again. It's like, hey, this is my office. I can use whoever I please. And Hasegawa was like, I told you that if you didn't clean this up, then I was going to clean it up myself. And he just has people come in and start, like, dragging people, things away in bags and stuff. And so... He's basically scolding him like a really slobbish teenager. You're like, oh, if you don't clean up your room, I'm going to clean up myself. And then you're going to lose all your collectibles and everything. So he picks up Haru and introduces him to Kikoru. This is Captain Narumi. And Kikoru's like, oh, God, how do I act like I am in any way respectful of a superior officer when it comes to this guy? 
But uh, Narumi is j- just reacts to her presence by just kind of changing completely. He starts immediately going very smug and above it all. And he says, oh, you're you're Mr. Isao's daughter, huh? Uh, Kikaru manages to salute him properly and give this like, oh, I'm at your service introduction. But Narumi says, hey, 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 don't stand on ceremony. As first division captain, I only want one thing from you. And before he can explain himself further, an alarm goes off. And he says, ah, a sortie. Perfect. You'll figure it out soon enough once we see how once you see how we handle battle. And I'm going to let you observe and take notes from the best seat in the house. And we see that um Godzilla is attacking the coastline. This yeah, is the very mo- much. It's Godzilla. <laughs> They don't call it that, but it's it's a kaiju. It is coming out of the ocean. It's a lizard with a, with spines going down its back. It's it's Godzilla. So, or is it beloved childhood character Reptar, who was not a parody of Godzilla? He was his own original creation, uh, and he had a candy bar named after him. I believe Reptar bars were the talk of the town. Okay. That's who I think this is a reference to. Okay. Cause... So Reptar is back of the coast. <laughs> Sweet. So uh, there's like a bunch of uh, heavy artillery that are firing at it. We see that uh, that uh, Hasegawa is in this. You remember the third Matrix movie where they had exosuits that had Gatling guns? It's basically that. Yeah. And he is leading an artillery unit, firing on the thing. Meanwhile, Kikaru is up in this uh, helicopter type of uh, aircraft, and she's looking at everything. She's like, "Oh man, they're 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 like controlling where the kaiju's rampage is going because, and they are able to do this because each individual officer is so skilled. I'm sure that every officer here would have an unleashed combat power of over forty percent, surpassing platoon leader class." At that moment. Behind her, uh, the captain opens up the hatch of the aircraft and he says, shall we go? Kikaro Ninamiya. Manners, appearances, diligence, grace. None of that is what I want from you. I've only got one demand. And he slicks his hair back. And confirming which I we knew this before because of the first division captain title, but this is the same guy who has the very impractical looking weapon that was ready to attack Kafka and the previous chapter. Mm-hmm. He jumps from the, from the aircraft, pulls out said weapon and stabs it into Reptar's spine. Reptar. And then dodge. <laughs> it's too late for that. <laughs> I want to be like a Pokemon trainer. <laughs> <laughs> like, you ever think about in the world of the Pokemon anime, Pikachu's about to get fucking body slammed by a Storlax, and Ash is like, dodge! Pikachu's like, no shit, dumbass. What, what do you think I was going to do? Just fucking oh, get, no. some- <laughs> get some game I didn't think because you didn't tell me? Uh, well, you were you were stupid enough to let me catch you. <laughs> I'm, a right. great, I'm a great right, master. Touché. Pika Pika. I'm a great trainer. I told my Pikachu to dodge when a giant chandelier of ice was about to drop on it. 
I'm a great Pokemon trainer. Most of my gym badges I won by just being a nice person and saving the gym from a horrible disaster. Not by actual skill. Sometimes I won it just by being in the vicinity. Like occasionally he's going to enter some region and a gym leader is just going to be like, ah, just take it and go. I don't have time for this. (laughs) With the weapon still embedded in Reptar's spine, the captain pulls the trigger and uh, um, Reptar blows up. Uh, It doesn't go well for him. I think Uh, Reptar's still okay. Uh, You can never truly defeat Reptar. He lives on in our hearts. Okay. (laughs) So, yeah, having done all that, Nerumi lands and all of the kaiju's organs go flying off into the bay. And somehow Nerumi is able to say this to Kikaru, presumably over an intercom. But I like to say that he's just like saying it at normal volume. And Kikaru's like, what? But uh, <laughs> he says while perching smugly over the, the, the uh, kaiju's remains, show me overwhelming skill. I don't need someone who's well-mannered yet inept. And this uh, Kikoro likes this idea, so that's where we leave off the chapter. It's uh, it's interesting, I'll say. Um, I think the biggest thought I really had with this chapter is it was very strange to get such a goofy character in this series because, like, to this point everyone's like kind of a military character. So there wasn't really a ton of goofiness to them, like maybe Kafka and everything, but like, otherwise everyone was pretty straight laced. So when he shows up and he's like a nerdy otaku who lives in a pile of garbage in his room and he just plays games all day, you're like, Oh, this is weird. No one else is really wacky in this universe. You're the one (laughs) wacky dude. I feel like this is how they should have introduced Stark and bleach. Like he's the strongest. So he gets to do whatever he wants. And we're going to demonstrate he's the strongest off the bat instead of having him lose the only fight he's ever actually that ever actually goes to completion with him. So, But Nick, I think his guns were other fractions or some shit like that. His fraction was actually part of himself that he had divided off. Yes. Yeah, because he didn't want to be lonely. Yeah, it's very sad if, you know, you'd ever actually gotten to see that <laughs> play out in the series. Spy Family! Beep boop, spy family. Don't know why there's beep boop there, but <laughs> there was. It's the cadence of the moment. Mission 49. We see that uh, that whole thing that, you know, the chief ordered for a cleanup for the room that they were first attacked in, that they they finished that up. Uh, all the, the cleaning guys are like, wow, uh, yeah, she really did a number on that room, <laughs> so they bought that story. However... Uh, the head assassin guy, or the guy who's kind of coordinating all the hitmen on the ship, uh, goes uh, and picks the lock to the room, and then he investigates it by going... <sighs> and uh, he sniffs a bunch of stuff. And he smells, oh, there's, you know, these different perfumes. Uh, and uh, there's a... So she... Uh, the, the target is wearing a new fragrance for her new face. Uh, there were at least... One male and two females here. Uh, and so then uh, he gets in contact with their uh, surveillance guy. And uh, he says, have you picked up their trail? And there's, oh, there's some, guy. oh, there's some baby poop also on the floor. Never mind. I guess I figured this out. <laughs> ah, that's that's the other smell I was detecting. OK, <laughs> no wonder it smells like a different scent. In here. 
the surveillance guy says that he has not found your and the target yet, but says they must be hiding a second or third class cabin. I just haven't picked up anything about it yet. Uh, so, um, but they say, okay, they're going to plan to escape tomorrow night at the earliest. At that point, they will have to show themselves whether they want to or not. So we're counting on you to find out where they are and when they're going to try and do something. However, before we cut away from the surveillance guy, we see that he overhears a conversation between a couple of hitmen who say, this ops guy of ours sucks. I bet he's just got to take his money and run. Uh, before we disembark, I might just pay him a visit and recover every cent he got paid. <laughs> and the surveillance guy is just like, yeah, okay. <laughs> it's one of those, I like, he says it outright. He's like, okay, so this guy's an idiot. But it is one of those things just like, why would you assume you're not being listened to? Why would you say it out loud? <laughs> so cockily. Well, he is carrying, like, presumably a communications device that they are using to keep in touch. So uh, we then cut over to Anya, who is kind of staggering around groggily with Lloyd. And apparently Lloyd went back on everything that he told that poor saleswoman uh, and didn't buy a single damn thing. Uh, because he was too put off by Anya saying that all that uh, he looked uncool while wearing it. So that's pretty brutal, I think, for that sales clerk, because she really thought she was about to make a great, like a great sale, and yeah. none of it happened. Like I would have really been like that fucking kid. God damn it. <laughs> uh, so uh, Anya is kind of mumbling to herself about about your uh, because she knows what's going on. But Lloyd's like, oh, don't worry about your about your mother. She's working late, but you don't need to worry about that. It's time for little girls to be in bed. And Anya says, my grand adventure has just begun. And then she walks into a shelf and she falls asleep while leaning against it because children are, are unpredictable in that way. So. Uh, so Lloyd is left to just kind of think by himself about your for a minute while he carries Anya off to their room to go to sleep. Your uh, has taken up refuge in the room with uh, with everyone of of the targets, the false husband and the and uh, the mother and child pair, and uh, everything apparently is like taken care of. The director left them some some food as well, so it's like okay, we can just huddle in here safely until the boat comes. Everything's going to be okay now. Uh, the child is terrified and is crying. And the false husband uh, notices as his mother is trying to comfort him that she's shaking. So he goes, oh, it was so scary. Can you believe this happened? There's people shooting guns and swinging stuff. As I would want to get out of here. Uh. And so the mother's like, OK, you got to pull yourself together. You're, you're just a cowardly shell of a man, aren't you? And even the baby is like, oh, you suck. <laughs> But uh, it's a nice little little subtle thing that happens because, like, it goes completely uncompeted on entirely, except that the guy sees that now they're just kind of like so busy being disgusted with him that they aren't scared anymore and just happy about that. Yeah. Very nice little moment. Um, she mentions to him, you know, you don't need to be in you didn't need to put yourself in danger. You could have just gone with the new boss. Uh, and he's like, don't, don't you know how I feel? And she says, what? Never mind. Yeah. So, But uh, essentially, 
just a quick little word, like his loyalty is to her, not to anyone in the organization. So, and he mentions why, because, um, when they were young or younger, at least she like helped him out while he was starving and hungry. And, uh, so he hasn't, he has never forgotten that. And he mentions, cause we see a flashback where he's a kid in the street and she gives him a bit of bread and she says, don't tell anyone. And he says, to this day, I can still taste that bread. And that's all the reason I need to be here with you. Aw. Sure. And it's one of those things where I'm just like, I don't know. You kind of have to ignore it because you're like, I guess it's a goofy comedy, but it's like, yeah, the heroic black market that helped save this heroic gangster. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh he says, like, and it's okay. You guys can count on me. And then there's a tap at the door. Ah! And he's terrified immediately again. So. But it's the director. It turns out that they communicate with a secret knock. And the director kind of briefly. It shaves it. it. <laughs> Should yeah. Shave it a haircut. Like, that's kind of the most common knock, really, that's out there. I don't know. <laughs> Should have, like, taken it from, like, the beats of, like, a really obscure anime opening or something like that. <laughs> okay, here. Here, let's try and do this. Oh, Lost in Paradise. I got it. Open it. Come on in. You got to hear 20 knocks before you get it. You're like, oh, Fighting Dreamers. I got it. I got it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Come on in. Uh, turns out it's very hard to do anime openings when you're just using a, you know, a surface. <laughs> so... Um, he just says like, okay, while you guys are laying low down here, I'm going to patrol the floor. And he goes into a locker in the room and pulls out a hidden suitcase with a pistol and a bunch of like knives and stuff in, inside of it. And he's like, yeah, uh, I'm going to go and whittle down some of the, of the, of the people trying to kill us. Um, Zeb, the, uh, mafia guy with, uh, with them says, you're totally composed, even while there's all these people trying to kill you. How how is this? And the director says this is just what we do. Uh, the war officially ended over a decade ago, but I uh, rather Zeb says, "Huh." So this is just you know regular for you. The war ended over a decade ago, but I guess wars are still around here and there. And the director answers, "So long as people are the way they are, the fighting won't ever stop." We're soldiers. Whether they call it wartime or peacetime, we keep fighting for our country. War. Yeah. Uh, and on his way out the door, he mentions Dior. Stay focused on the job or everyone will die. That's when Konami shows it. She's like, way to keep up team morale. Negative one point. Like, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> so Dior tells, tells the others to try and get some sleep. We cut ahead to hours later where they're all you know, sleeping in the beds. Yor is keeping watch just by the door. And she is just kind of like left with, alone with her own thoughts. And she thinks, you know, I never did reach out to Loinanya because, you know, I couldn't because of the circumstances. But then she thinks about her fight with the mad uh, Rasputin looking guy earlier. And thinks to herself, when I was dragging my feet earlier, I wonder if it was because I was afraid of getting hurt, afraid of getting a wound that I wouldn't be able to just explain away to Lloyd and Anya, a wound that would have forced me to leave my family. And she thinks back to what she was talking about with the mother earlier, 
but they're just for show, right? To cover your identity. And you are just thinks to yourself, I've got to keep my priorities straight. You need to ask yourself, Yor, what are you doing here? And then we cut ahead to sunrise, and there are 20 hours left until the rendezvous. So we will see how this uh, continues to go down in a couple of weeks. Yeah, I like the introspective nature of yours kind of discussion with herself at the end, everything that's in there. It seems like it's it, we're due for some good character development for your at this point. So we yeah. got to see her look like a cool badass. Now I'm kind of looking forward to seeing her have some introspection in her life. And I think that's probably the part of this I'm most looking forward to. Yeah, uh, it's we've gotten some good stuff from this arc. And I'm, I'm really glad that, though, that we had this unexpected but very welcome change from the last couple of chapters which were either very heavy on the action or very heavy on on the comedy or a combination of the two and now we just got this very quiet let's take a moment to breathe and check in on why we're supposed to care about some of the characters involved here so well absolutely all right nick let's talk about eden zero chapter 151 handprints uh, not a cheesecake shot at the start. Isn't that interesting? Uh, so last time, uh, oh. yourself is why I said, I don't know what that means. I mean, look at him right there. Yeah, I guess that's kind of cheesecakey. You know, he's got some thighs. Yeah, good for you, Wise. Rock him. Actually, now that I look at the now that I look at the uh the jeans, they do look really odd. They might be like jeggings. They might be like that oh. combination. So I think that's probably what's yeah. going on. Uh, so last time it turns out Wise could also be. All right. So last time Wise. I think we might be a little bit out of sync. Yeah, we're a little bit. Uh, so Wise revealed that he could use Overdrive. And Nasei uh, is like, you could use Overdrive. I didn't sign up for this. Time for a tactical retreat. And Wise starts to go after it, but then he's like, oh, this power uses up so much more ether, even more than Arsenal. Uh, fuck it, just let him go. And then the Sega's like, like in an alleyway, it opens up a fucking group chat with the other members of the Ocean Six. And I, I want for so much that Saika is still in it, and his fucking robot corpse is just dinging as all these messages, like a little armband thing just starts dinging as every one of these messages comes up. Or like there's a constantly a notification in the corner that says like Saika is typing. Yeah. <laughs> it was like there was an incomplete message when he died. There. Oh, man. Nothing was more terrifying than when one of my family members decided to message me with the account of one of my uncles who had died. Oh, and I just like got a message like. And, it, and like they they were I like they didn't realize how terrified it was because they just up with what are you up to or something like that. You're like. You need to tell me what the fuck is happening right now or I'm going to lose my goddamn shit. <laughs> this is how movies start. Um, the same messages in the chat like, guys, this is bad. Uh, Lyra's just like, can't talk right now. Got a show going on. And he comes in. He's like, no, you have to understand they can o they can use OD. And she's like, uh, then uh, Mirror Lady, whose name I forgot, it's like, I know that's how they got me. And then the one guy who we haven't really seen much of at this point pops in and just puts a big sticker of a bunny rabbit saying nice on it. And uh, that's pretty much a scene. It was kind of funny. So, you know, honestly, if the chapter had ended here, <laughs> it would have been one of my favorite chapters of the week, just because these first two pages 
are just so weird and so different. It's just so amusing that they have a fucking group chat yeah. and they all just message each other in. It's really humanizing. Although, unfortunately, we, to this point, know nothing about too many of these characters for it to have <laughs> as much of an impact as it could. Yeah. If we come back to this later, maybe it'll actually be better. But I Hey, I also got my ass kicked. Did you know they could use OD? Like, that's what we tried to tell you. I told you. <laughs> I feel like if this if this is like a frame device that comes back, I will actually appreciate it. But I get the impression that it's just going to be a one off. So we cut back over to where Lyra is fighting Rebecca. and She explains the card game they want to do. It's not just any card game in Lost Card. Every time you lose a piece of your clothing gets lost. She has like a little winky tongue face uh, moment. And everyone's like, oh, yeah, show us your birthday suit. And Becca's like, what kind of game? This isn't funny. And you put me in a skimpy outfit. There's no way I'd agree to it. And it's also one of those things of like, I don't know, like, does each sleeve count? Because, like, <laughs> I feel like she's at an extreme disadvantage in this card game, too, if it's basically strip poker. You're wearing a leotard. That's one outfit right there. <clears throat> uh, Lyra explains, oh, you don't have a choice. The, like, the little collar on her neck, it's bomb. So... If you don't play, then I'm just going to blow your fucking head off. And she's like, all right, fine. I'll play. But hey, I have Cat Leaper still. I could probably use it like twice and I can rewind time. So that makes me pretty hard to beat at a call game or a card game. So I'll accept your challenge. And uh, she just says, hey, if you lose and your clothes get lost, too. And she's like, yep, that way everybody gets a show no matter what. Oh, but by the way, hold on before we move on to that <laughs> okay. point. Rebecca's reaction here is very weird to me. I know this is a minor point, but it's really hard to get a tell on how Rebecca actually feels about this situation, because when she thinks about Cat Leaper, she's like, "Okay, I can get through this because I have a natural advantage. And so you can understand why she is brave and to a degree confident. Mm -hmm. But then she's like. Well, hold on. But if you lose your if you lose, you'll lose your clothes. Right. And she's like, yeah, I will. And all the crowd go, yeah. And she's like, oh, this is awful then. <laughs> so is it a good or a bad thing that your opponent will lose her clothes? How do you f- actually feel about this, Rebecca? I can't tell because she makes such different faces when this happens. So, yeah, she's in her, her own place right then. Uh, and there's one extra rule, Nick, to what is it called? lost card after yeah. losers been stripped totally naked in front of everybody a part of their body will be lost too i feel like whoever is writing wwe women's matches in the late 90s early 2000s wrote this chapter because it's such a weirdly overly kinky way of getting to this fucking point of like i want to take your legs <laughs> which you could have easily done either when you had her unconscious or when you had her hypnotized doing whatever you wanted. I don't know why there had to be this very fetishy fight, but that's where we're at. Except Shiki shows up, Nick. Hold on, two things. Okay. First of all, when this whole concept was being introduced, I was kind of like, this is actually a much more normal thing that I would expect like to be included in, in terms of like a weird way for a fetish to be included in a series. 
because I think that this actually is like a thing for people. It's not something that's like a weird made up version of an existing thing. It's just like, no, girls playing strip poker. That's like just a thing for people. However, I think it's actually very notable that Lyra says a part of the loser's body will be lost or because she doesn't say I'm going to cut off your legs or anything like that. So if, for example, Rebecca beats her, she might just cut off one of her ponytails or something because that would be a part of her body being lost. Probably. I don't know. I, 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 if it does indeed go in the direction of yes, and also amputation, then we go back to the realm of, okay, this is this is odd. And it's weird that there is this big a crowd of people who are into this. So, yeah, I don't know. We're going to have to see how the actual card game, I guess, plays out. This oh, just, I can't wait. Yeah, it just seems. Uh, well, hey, who knows? Shiki just shows up, Nick. So maybe he's going to interfere in all of this. And he's like, I gotta find witch, but you're here, too. So I'll help you. Let's go. And Rebecca's like, no, the bomb's going to go off. So I can't do that. And then Callum shows up. Remember Callum, Nick? Yeah. Yeah. Another member of Ocean 6. He shows up. I think it's the other guy whose design was submitted. And he's like, I'll take care of him. So Callum's going to fight him now. And he's Imperial Special Forces. And he has like a line where he's like, so you have gravity powers like Shura. And then there's a little line of Lyra saying, all right, let's get our game started too then, kitten. And Becca's like, but I'm a bunny girl. What the fuck? Don't you even get what animal you dress me as? <laughs> <laughs> oh, and Callum turned to fog. I guess that's his thing. He could turn to fog. Um, we cut also, over. Also, he does a thing where his attack seemingly appears on the body before it actually happens. So, yeah. uh, so then we see uh, we cut to space. A bunch of stuff's happening. Uh, Justice is here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it, uh, nothing really happens. I'm just gonna cut over. We go back onto the planet. Hamora's starting to get up, and then this dude who I think I'm supposed to know, like he says his name's Creed. And I know who he is, theoretically, but I don't know who he is. Like, I know he's part of Justice Group, and I think he's the guy who could shrink people into cages. But he shows up, and him reading Hamora is the end of the chapter. And it is such a weird point to end the chapter on, because who gives a fuck about these two characters meeting again? It doesn't even end on, like, a dramatic moment. It ends on Hamora saying he's forgettable and lame. So, um, like, I know he has the hots for her. Yes, that's basically it. That was established Uh, before he was like, oh, I see you're in the cage. So hot or whatever. But I do. Why is this the end of the chapter other than to just dunk on him by calling him forgettable and lame? So. Given the way that Hero tends to write male-female romantic interests, I'm going to say that he is going to actually be a recurring character primarily because he's Homura's love interest now. Probably, yeah. I mean, this character feels like he'll show up. I would honestly be willing to put money on it. Like (laughs) a pizza bet, Nick? (sighs) We would have to define the 
actual constraints of it. I think we have some lawyers in our audience. They could draft up uh, specific legal wording. Because I think it's a little bit more... Because saying like he's going to show up and be her primary love interest is a lot more odd grounds than Seikijo actually is in love with Ogata. Like that's a little bit more vague terminology. But if, if but if if people in our audience are willing to make suggestions for how we can actually turn this into a pizza bed, I'd be game for it because I feel pretty good about this, um, and also because. It's one way to help us remember who this character is. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I think Hamora is going to get a hotter, more interesting boyfriend by the end of the series. Well, that, she can't have Urza's love interest because Urza's in the series. And he is the hottest character in the series. We do agree. Um, oh, who would the equivalent of Hamora be in like fairy tale? Because it's not, she's not Levy. She's Levy. She's she's Levy if Levy had uh, Wendy's role. Ooh. Okay. All right. Well, yeah, but honestly, guys, if, if some of you have ideas for how we can actually work this, then sure, I'm game for it. And yeah, that'll be the most consequential thing that came <laughs> out of this chapter because... Nick, what are you talking about? We're getting the strip card game match battle thing. No, because the most consequential thing otherwise would be the, the establishment that they have a group chat. <laughs> Nick, we might get to see Rebecca naked. We don't oh, know. No, we no, don't no, normally get to see. No. <laughs> was that fairy tale or this series where the main character came out was just like, I'm kind of used to seeing you naked at this point. I, really give a shit. I think it was fairy tale, but they all blend together. I do. I think Shiki did. I think Shiki actually did say that at some point. Someone <laughs> did. I can't remember if it was him or if it was Natsu and Gray that said it. I oh, don't remember. God. Oh, they do just blend together. You're right. <laughs> and we got like a really obvious shot of Rebecca's ass in the leotard in this. Oh my God. Okay, let's just move on. So, chapter three of the Hunters Guild Red Hood of Werewolves and Hunters. So, last time, uh, Vato's was, or Velo, 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 it's, it's, an, it's a weird name, I'm never going to get it. Velo's uh, had cornered the other werewolf uh, that was in the group, the smart one who was hiding out amongst the people who were taking shelter from, hang on, let me just quickly pull up their names. So Dodo is the is the th skinny werewolf. Naraoya is the one that was serving as the distraction. So we get a flashback to establish how we got to this point with Grimm saying to Velo, hey, you should be able to actually pick out the werewolves in the crowd. They're probably younger than the one that we fought before. And Velo's like, well, how can you tell? Uh, and Grimm says, well, because Velo actually does suspect, oh, is it because of the bite marks on the bones? And Grimm says, the werewolf we hunted had no teeth. Back in the hut, the mayor's bones showed signs of being gnawed on. And there were two different kinds of marks, which means that there are at least two more werewolves in the vicinity that were probably the two that were watching us. So, fair enough. And uh, Grim basically counted on Vela's ability to spot the person hiding in the crowd because she basically essentially predicted that Dota would do exactly that he, what he did. 
Villa doesn't like this idea because they're going to use the townspeople as bait, which uh, Villa really doesn't like. And of course, it could result in one of the villagers being eaten. But Grimm says, we're not going to let them be eaten. That's part, of, that's part of the contract. We're going to keep them safe. But I don't have the ability to pick out a werewolf in disguise from a crowd of people, but you do. You have sharp eyes, you have keen observation skills, and most of all, your love of the Hamlet should be able to help you find the outsider. And then, when you do, use this. And she gives him a gun. It's uh, different from his current rifle, which Villa's like, why don't I just use this gun? And she says, that one can't kill werewolves. Fair enough. Uh, she warns him that it has a mean kick and that he should brace himself when he squeezes the creature. So in the present, Dodo well, just like... Nick, what name does the gun have? It's Chekhov's gun. What? Nick, but that's a literary reference. <laughs> I want a literary <laughs> reference in a in a Grimm's fairy tale based series. This is great. It's you, see, that's the thing when you see something in a manga that needs to be used or in any kind of story, you call it a Chekhov's gun. But here, he's given a special gun called Chekhov's gun, and it doesn't it doesn't do anything at the start, but it might later because it's named after the reference. How much later are we talking about exactly? <laughs> does the check ever check out gun to apply? <laughs> well, the gun actually was already fired, so now it actually technically isn't a Chekhov's gun anymore. <laughs> now it's a MacGuffin. <laughs> like it's 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 a completely <laughs> different trope at this point. Whatever we're called, the MacGuffin. <laughs> yeah. Just really. So Dodo's like, oh, right, fine. You think that you got me cornered? Whatever. I'm a werewolf. And he turns into a giant werewolf and he's like, I'm just going to kill you and then leave. Whatever. Uh, Velo warns everyone to run away, of course. And Velo shoots the gun at him. And yeah, it's got a really nasty kickback. It blows Velo through the wall and out into the open. So Velo's like, that hurt. But at least I've got his attention and I can still stand now it's my turn to be the bait. I've got to keep its attention and lure it away from the hamlet and then meet up with Grimm and we'll eliminate both of these werewolves. And he holsters the Chekhov gun and pull, put, takes down his regular gun. This guy needs an extra arm in order to handle this much equipment. He's just a little kid. He only has stubby arms. So, um, Then Dodo hears a noise because, oh yeah, Grimm's been beating up Naroya this whole time. And she deposits his very, very broken, bleeding body right in front of Dodo. And uh, then Grimm is like, also, I'm perched up here because. Uh, and she, of course, has been bashing Naroya with the steeple bell just because Naroya says, she's crazy. Help me. And Dodo says, ah, oh, look at you, Naroya. You're a wreck. And he rips off one of Naroya's fangs, which honestly made me wince because it's like very deliberate, gruesome teeth damage, which is not nice. Uh, and he just starts like scolding Naroya and says, what was your job? What was your job? Oh, it was the decoy. I was supposed to stop the hunter. Yeah. So what are you doing here? Uh, and Naroya says, 
when you got found out too. He's like, are you talking back to me? And he just says, you know, you're useless. You've And you've always been annoying to me. But if you're going to be this completely useless, then it'd be better if you were just gone. And he picks up a rock to just completely crush Naroya's brains out. Uh, Velo instinctively turns the Chekhov gun to try and stop him. But Grim just like comes down and grabs it and is like, what are you doing? It's good for us if they kill each other. Um. And Dodo even is just like, what, were you going to, were you going to save the other werewolf? I mean, I wouldn't bother. Bullets don't work on werewolves. Uh, and Vettel just kind of like stares at him and says, what? And Dodo says, oh yeah, yeah, sure. Okay. I'm going to kill you all. So I'll go ahead and exposit some information because this is information that the viewer will appreciate having about the, about this world. So werewolves can shift from human to wolf which it comes from our muscles ability to regenerate. And that also lets us regenerate from wounds. If you shoot us, if you stab us, we just regenerate. And that's what makes us so monstrous. And I can just, I'm just telling you this because I don't care. I know you can't stop me, but here's the other thing about muscles. They're made from fibers. If you move around or a lot and get cut, then the fibers rip. And then when you rest and heal, they heal up bigger and stronger. But what if you do that over and over again? You rip them, you heal them, they get stronger. Do that over and over, and the muscles get bigger. And then what do you think that happens? This. And um, his he's head like a doesn't big fit teddy, his body anymore. He's a big <laughs> teddy bear. Look at him. He's honestly a lot more, he's, yes, much cuddlier than he was before. Yes. He says, however, we aren't immortal because every war- werewolf has a weakness, the heart. And he rips out Naraoya's heart. It's called the heart. So, and uh, then he squeezes the heart and it ruptures and he presumably just, Neroy is just dead. And uh, this really pisses off Velo. Uh, and Velo and Grimm's just like, come on, they're killing each other for us. What, what, are, you, what are you doing? And Velo says, I can't forgive him for what he did, though. The other werewolf cared about him. They were brothers, but he killed them. He killed his own family. And again, Grimm, and says, why does that matter? We're trying to kill them. And uh, Dodo co- comes charging down towards them saying, I'm going to eat you and save my hunger. Grim tosses out a few smoke bombs. They're shells that are called gas shells. And, and, uh, she's, and they also have a weird smell to them and stuff. And she gets Velo up onto a roof. And Velo's like, I'm going to get him. Grim, what do we do? And Grimm shuts him up by like reaching over and pinching his mouth because she doesn't know how to interact with people, presumably. And she says, you're going to take him out alone. You said yourself that you want to protect the Hamlets. And once I leave, you're going to have to do that on your own. So you come up with a plan. If you want, I'll be bait for you. But don't tell yourself you're going to get him. You've got to tell yourself that you'll eliminate any werewolf to protect the Hamlet, no matter who they are. Give up on this righteous anger nonsense. It serves no purpose. Hunters aren't concerned with justice. Don't think of yourself as a hero. Don't act out of what you believe to be just. A hunt is a battle of wits between you and your prey. If you truly wish to protect something, stay calm. Think. Observe your surroundings. If you can pull that off, then you can find your prey. You can tease it out. Now is the moment when you become a hunter. Except now is not the moment you become a hunter. That will presumably be next chapter because that's the end of the chapter right there. So, 
the time has come, the werewolf said, to decide if we're going to keep reading Red Hood now that it's been three chapters and it's mm-hmm. shown in jump run. I don't know. Uh, I feel like I've been appreciating it okay. It still feels like something's missing, like I mentioned last week, because we didn't really progress to the point where it feels that something is still going to drop that ties things together and you get a picture of like what the series is going to be like. And I don't know how I feel about how that's going to turn out because I'm not sure how it's going to turn out yet. So I will say I hated this chapter. I thought it was fucking dog shit. I thought the exposition was chunky and awkward. I thought so much of the art was messy and incomprehensible. I still don't understand what happens in the exchange with the gun and the werewolf. Did he miss the werewolf? Was it intentional? Like I, I can't comprehend how the action in this series is actually moving. And I think that there are small parts of the series that I, I like, like some of the designs and things like that. And I said to myself, that stuff is superficial. Eventually that stops being novel and interesting. I think this is more indicative of the quality of what this series is going to be, at least at the start. Every series could change if you give it a year and a year and a half or whatever. But I don't think this series is off to a particularly good start. Um, and I'm not super interested in any of the characters in this series at this point. So, no, not particularly I don't really want to keep reading this here, but I'm going to anyway. So why doesn't we just have it in the recap? I'm going to be doing it on the other show otherwise. <laughs> I feel as though this. Uh, feel as though. You, Did I give you a strong argument? <laughs> I feel as though that briefcase you're holding on to is going to remain in your possession a lot longer than it would have remained in mine. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> considering that. There are certain series that I read only for this show. <laughs> well, you should have memorized who fucking uh, who the name Gonfall is then, Nick. He liked you. I've already forgotten who that is. <laughs> <laughs> but you haven't forgotten who Backdraft is. It's funnier to me more and more because I eventually learned that's not the name of the board game I was thinking of. The board <laughs> game was called Flashpoint, and I thought the board game was named after the movie Backdraft. Uh, that's a much worse name. Okay. All right. Fine. Fine. We'll keep reading it, uh, and we'll see if how that changes. Honestly, maybe it'll just get to a point where we're just like much more quickly. We're just like, Oh, they've just gotten, got nothing and we'll change our minds, but we'll see. So fine. Yeah. This look, this could be, this could be another one of those pin series, or maybe this is just a series. That doesn't last a tremendously long period of time. Now we also need to discuss the series that comes up in a couple 
Because right. that one is much more likely to be a series that's in and out of jump pretty quickly based off of some early clues. We're kind of getting very, very early clues and reading into things. Might mean nothing. But this one looks to have a little bit more steam behind it, so who knows? Before we do that, let's talk about Magu-chan, God of Destruction. Chapter 51. What's, what's the inverse of a shit sandwich? Uh, peanut butter, banana, and honey sandwich. But the bread's made of diarrhea. Oh, okay. That's what I mean. Like, this was too... Gar <laughs> We're gonna get to... These are two poopy garbage things sandwiched around something that's just fantastic and delicious. What was that thing that, like, KFC sold? The, 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 the double down? So it's a shit sandwich double down. So. <laughs> Well, the double down was delicious. the The bread was the best part because it was the chicken. The middle was just fucking bacon and cheese and sauce. Oh, okay. This would be this. What, what's like the grossest fast food item I can think of? This uh, is th from KFC. Actually, <laughs> <laughs> have I told the story about KFC on here? Like how I was off KFC basically permanently because it it it. I was going to drive uh, home from college and that I stopped by KFC before I headed out. And fortunately, I didn't get on the road after I ate it because it gave me terrible diarrhea and delayed my trip by like an hour. So, and then I stopped eating KFC because I was like, it did this to me. And then every time that I've occasionally had KFC since, I'm like, why do people like this? Because <laughs> we're garbage people, Nick. We like garbage. We put it in our mouths. I, I was talking with a friend the other day about Taco Bell, and I was just like, yeah, no, there's no, you don't get Taco Bell as a good decision. Like, you get Taco Bell because you're like, it's 1 a.m., everything is closed. I don't like myself but I'm hungry. And then you get Taco Bell and you eat seven burritos for $4 and you fucking hate yourself. Every step of it's awful, oh. but I'll, I'll defend it till the day I die. Uh, my secret seven herb, 11 herbs and, si and spices, 10 of which are salt, <laughs> <laughs> just all salt. All right. We uh, get a little bit, a brief recap of the thing that happened last chapter, which is that uh, Muscar unleashed a new uh, pillar that's put all the people of the town to sleep. We also get a little bit of a look at uh, Yuika and uh, 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 other friend who's not as memorable as Yuika as they're <laughs> having dreams about stuff. Yuika dreams that she can fly because she's an energetic kid. The other girl dreams that she's been abducted by aliens because that's her one character trait. So we then we get a look into Ruru's head. And of course, her she's like going fishing with her mom and dad. And she, she like actually says, like, are you sure you're OK that you can be up, daddy? And he's like, oh, yeah, I've been feeling good lately. It's like, oh, he fell sick and died. Mm. Meanwhile. Magu-chan's first battle with Muscar didn't go so well, but B, uh, BS helped him out, and he's riding around with BS, and he says, oh, we must acquire provisions with haste, BS. Uh, so he's got to get his strength back. Muscar is looking around, and he says to Nosukoshu, the sleep pillar, why is that dog awake? And Nosukoshu says, I did as you told. I brought the lowly humans happy dreams. 
didn't tell me anything about anyone else. You didn't say shit about dogs. No, <laughs> nothing in the rule book saying dogs can't stay awake afterwards. It was the airbud <laughs> rule. They got him again. You always have to think of the technicalities of these things. Include dogs in everything. <laughs> everything. <laughs> you think that like that should be like a thing on like trading card things. <laughs> like someone's just like no rule saying dogs can't vote. <laughs> <laughs> and you just bring a shit ton of dogs to the polling booth. <laughs> oh god. So Muscar is is after uh Ma- Magu and we get a little bit of narration saying that Muscar can of course force coincidences to become certain. The root of that power comes from Muscar's ear-like instruments which have extreme perceptive abilities. By understanding the probability of all outcomes around him, he can discern the potential of what may occur and with a small amount of force can push it to lead to a desired outcome. So he has probability sonar earrings, basically. So uh, Magu makes his way to the restaurant that naputaku is open and we get this little bit where naputaku hey he opened up the restaurant yay he did it all by himself but he says there's no customers oh well i prepared everything but at this rate everything's gonna go to waste and then he gets really self-conscious for a second like did i do something wrong is no one coming in because i'm the one who's running the shop it's such a painful moment to have that anxiety and be like no, Naputakun, you're wonderful. You're gorgeous. You're doing great. Like, I really, I feel like the Gordon Ramsay meme when it comes to Naputaku and uh, fucking Uneris, where it's just like, fucking donkey, and it cuts to me with Naputaku, and I'm just like, my pre- you're gorgeous, my precious child. <laughs> <laughs> you hear that? That's wonderful. It's wonderful. Perfectly golden. <laughs> <laughs> you ever want to just cry look up the thing about uh the season of uh uh was it top chef i think it was where the winner was a, was a blind chef and he was really 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 nice to her and he was showing her how she could tell that his, her cooking was great yeah so yeah naputsuku however is is really pleased when the doorbell rings and uh Magu comes in with bs and he's like yay customers wait it's you <laughs> And Magu is like, offer me provisions. And Nabutsuku says, I'm not feeding you. You don't have any money. <laughs> He's got a point. Yeah, he can't lie. But his, his little hermit crab servants are so are so nice because they immediately bring out a dish of water for BS. Just animals being nice to each other. But Magu says, there are only so many beings in this town who can still move. Please. Well, Magu was actually nice. Aw. Yeah. So we cut forward, and yeah, Naputaku has gotten some food ready for Magu, which basically amounts to letting him bathe in a cooking pot. Pretty much. And I guess just absorbing stuff like a sponge. <laughs> uh, but he's explained stuff off 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 panel and the first comment that Nabutsuku has that nobody's waking up is thank goodness it wasn't my fault because he he cares so much yeah but he cares the most that it's not his fault so it's hey, a, little, a little selfish I have Catholic guilt too I know that feeling <laughs> the moment <laughs> you could feel vindicated from anything that even should have no reason to connect to you it's a relief <laughs> it's a great feeling uh, so I didn't my- cause that earthquake <laughs> I thought I had my dryer on too long and I might have caused it. 
I mean, considering that you've got like preachers out there who were saying stuff like, you know, it's like gay people caused the hurricane. And you're just like, what if I caused it the was me? <laughs> <laughs> but like, yeah, it wasn't like anything like that. It was just like, oh, no, they put on the wrong clothing. that day. <laughs> uh, So Magu hatches a plan, which is a much smarter, less direct plan, which is we've got to find Nosukoshu who has concealed herself within the mist, and Muscar won't let me near her. That's where you come in, Naputaku. I entrust my morphalactic forms and my minion BS to you. Bring them with you to capture Nosukoshu of illusions. With BS's sense of smell, he is sure to track Nosukoshu down. And BS is like, woof. All, all determined oil and stuff. But when asking if Naputaku is up to the task, Naputaku says, I guess I don't have a choice. It's a big problem if there aren't any customers. I'm going to bill you for this later, Magma. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're here to pay. This is a lot of food. But then Naputiko says, Ah, I think you came asking for my help. Have you finally acknowledged my ability? And Magu says, I have never underestimated you. Aww. You just... It's, it, you could take it's a it... Little bit, it's a little bit like, wait a minute. <laughs> kind of backhanded in a way, because it's like... Oh no! You didn't seem to really be too threatened by me at the start, because you were just like, "No, I know your level of quality. <laughs> it's always been like that." <laughs> but I choose so to take outside. it as the good version, where he's just yes, like, "No, yes. I've always respected you." <laughs> so they go outside and prepare to hatch their plan. Uh, Naputsku is like, "All right, let's go, Mutt." Uh, but of course, Muscar arrives on the scene and says, "You're not going anywhere." Don't stick your nose where it doesn't belong, Naputsuku. Do you want to get blown away again? But Naputsuku says to BS to go on. I can't let him catch you. Muscar goes to stop BS, but Naputsuku says, if you want to get past here, you'll have to get through me first. <laughs> so Muscar makes the sign of the restaurant fall on his head. <laughs> Aww. So Naputsuku falls to the ground and Muscar says, you're no match for me. Your power of madness and control of the psyche will not work on supreme beings, just as illusions have only a weak effect on us. Bring out Magmanuik. I know he's in there. Even if he's regenerated, I cannot lose. So Naputaku says, well, I don't get it, though. Once you have Magmanuik, what do you plan to do? And Muscar says, I will put a stop to everything. I've seen the errors of lowly humans too many times. Over and over, as long as they have free will, they will continue to err. And I cannot stop those errors on my own. Magmanuik is the ultimate being, feared even by his fellow supreme beings. We should join forces and with him as our leader, rule the world! Though we won't be needing you, Naputsuku. You, who doesn't stand above lowly humans, but instead works for them, are a disgrace to the gods of chaos. You should obs- note, real quick, in the, the little flashback, it looks like we, we maybe get a glimpse of the person, Muscar has modeled his appearance after. Yeah, it might be that the heirs he's speaking of are the ones that caused them to experience hardships. Yeah. He says to Naputaku, if you're obsessed with playing house with lowly humans, you can play around in your restaurant for all eternity. Aww. But then Naputaku says, as he thinks about some of his happy times at the restaurant, what you said is inexcusable. You've been running your mouth for long enough. Don't you dare mock this restaurant! And he unleashes his frenzied roar, which, of course, is like, what are you doing? That can't affect me. But then his earring dangly things, 
And Naputico shouts, shut up! And we get narration saying that Muscar's power of fate comes from the ear-like instruments, which have extreme perceptive abilities. Therefore, noise is his natural enemy. And Nabutiku shouts so loud that the earrings crack and break. And Muscar's like, oh no, I, I can't avoid sound with chance. And Nabutiku then says, I'm not handing over Magmanuik. He's my customer. He keeps on shouting as his head sash comes off and he looks all badass and demonic as narration says, Naputiku the Mad is a fearsome god who can rend fate useless. Fuck yeah, he can. Yes, meanwhile, is off running off. Yeah, he's Naputiku. <laughs> Fifth pillar, baby. But number one in our hearts. <laughs> uh... Some of the Morphalactics riding with BS noticed that a crack is formed in the mist. Uneris has noticed this as well, and she says, oh, I should be able to meet with Izuma, but she hears BS coming from nearby as well. We cut back to Muscar and Naputuku, and Naputuku has, has shouted himself out. He's out of energy, and he collapses to the ground in front of Muscar. But now Muscar's perception isn't working. I can't use my power of fate anymore. And then Magu Manuku comes out of the restaurant. He's got Naputuku over his shoulder. He says, you let your pride get the better of you, Muscar. Fate has been overturned. You've done well, Naputuku. He just <laughs> chucks him like a towel. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> but uh, he takes one last big old scarf of food and says, I'll finish him off. Any last words? And Muscar tries to use his adjustment of fate as, as Magu unleashes his eye beam of destruction, which blows a hole right into Muscar's torso. And the last thing we end the chapter on is a visual of Ruru still asleep. Indeed. Yeah, this is a great chapter, Nick. What the fuck? Come on. It's the Puntaku looking fucking amazing. I, I don't like it's such a cool moment for him. Like. It, it, uh, there's a little bit that I want to like kind of nitpick to be like, yeah, they really bring up fucking Muscar's earrings being so fucking important until this chapter, pretty much. But I don't fucking give a shit. Fucking Nabutaku yelled so loud it fucking shattered his stupid magic earrings and beat the shit out of him. He's the best. It's great. Like, how can you not? I mean, if you are a fan of Nabutaku, I don't know how you can not love this. So, yeah. And look, a lot of people are fans of Nabutaku. So, it's. Uh, <laughs> We're just going to get right to it right now. Normally we save this till the end, but uh, fucking Deputaku is the character of the week. It just is. He's the best. He's the best character this week. Yeah. And it's almost a universal thing. I'm going to call out the people. Eltheon, you said Gen Narumi. More like Gen fuck yourself, asshole. It's not right. Fish? Uraraka? Well, because she had a fucking little memory of herself. I mean, the fucking Deputaku shouted and broke earrings. So obviously he's cooler. And, uh... <laughs> Oh, and there's one other person, one other fuckface who messed this all up. These jerks. Metallic 64 with Fuko? Hey, Fuko's cool, but it's no Naputakun. Y'all fucked up, and you should recognize that. Those are all valuable choices. <laughs> but they're all just seconds. But your opinion is wrong. <laughs> Everyone else agreed. Naputakun clearly was the best this week. <laughs> All right, speaking of great characters, <laughs> let's move 
move on to narrow way of the martial artist skill to Amato, Amato High School of the 18 Martial Arts. Nero's arrived at his super awesome mountaintop martial arts school place. Yay. And he goes inside and he's looking around. He's like, oh, wow, there's th- that looks like a freaking castle. Looks like a tower. It's a high school. What is this place? Is that a ninja? Oh, my God, that's a ninja. And. No, she tells him. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry. But yeah, yeah, that's my friend. Uh, it's uh, uh, La- it. Lady Face. I believe that's her name. Yeah. Tengu Mask Girl. We get a flashback to uh, when they had finished up their spar. And she says uh, that uh, this place, you know, it deals in the 18 main martial arts in Japan. If we get really specific, there are more than 18. So I just lied to you. No, but Nick, it's because you get very specific. <laughs> it's like, hey, we're going to start with 18. This series runs for a couple years, though. We might need to, <laughs> might need to get a couple more in. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> <Now again. laughs> they seem to be primarily focused on martial arts that revolve around individual weapons, which... Strikes me as odd because I'm pretty sure that like you could go into like unarmed martial arts that originate in Japan and get to more than 18. So anyway, so. Uh, but apparently there are the different students specialize in different things. So which are called like majors and departments. And so today they're the sword majors are, are having matches with the spear department. And uh, there's a guy who uses a technique and knocks a spear wielder on his ass. And Nehru's like, oh, wow, amazing. Then uh, uh, Akebi's her name. The sword guy who just won his match goes after her and is like, you're late. And he's swinging his sword at her, which like nobody in this school has any form of trigger discipline. So good to see. Uh, and uh, so... She, he tells her, like, oh, yeah, the matches are almost over. And so it's like, oh, okay, the deciding round to crown the champion. Well, good luck. And they're like, who's this? And Akebi says, this guy is here to help out. And it turns out that the guys that Nehru beat up in the first chapter are students at the school who were bothering Akebi because... Um... We're going to get a great look 17. Um, (laughs) There's going to be a couple arcs. We're going to ground ourselves some characters and then we're going to go back. We're going to explain why that happened. And the emotions will be they're going to swell. They're going to explode. You're going to be feeling stuff all over the place. Right. And imagine it's going to be hard because you're feeling a lot for this series right now. Certainly a lot of adjectives come up when you think about narrow way of the martial artist. Ambivalent. Um mediocre <laughs> that's about it uh but when we get to that flashback explaining why they're harassing her it's gonna blow everything out of the water oh my god so the two boshuriken guys who aren't given names they and the the head of the sword group or whatever are like hey so you're gonna you, you gotta compete for us 
and uh, he's the, but she says, oh no, 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 I, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna be competing. I've told you. And they're like, but you've got to because Jokero is competing because he heard you were as well. And Akemi just says, yeah, but I changed my mind. So, but uh, but who's gonna take him on if you won't? And we then see this Jokero, and I will give a little bit of credit to the artist here because I took one look at this guy and I was like, he looks a hell of a lot like a Kebby, doesn't he? Hmm. Those weird eye eyebrows. And then it turns out, um, they're twins. So that's deliberate. There so I was like, go. all right. I, I could immediately tell they looked very similar. And then it turned out that they were twins. Good enough. So, um, so Jokero is there. He's going to be this, the, in the deciding match and he's got a spear with him. And, uh, he's, upset about this uh be, i guess um I, I okay this is weird so he notes this junior high kid isn't subbing in is he and one of the other guys is like what do you mean junior and he's like well that's kanze junior high's uniform okay uh calm down um i don't know why you're so upset but okay <laughs> so um so then they make introductions and stuff, and then Joker is like, "Oh, so you're so you're not gonna compete, but you're gonna let this random kid from your school compete instead? Are you weaseling out again?" And Akebi says, "Don't be silly. This is a real steel match. You know what that means." Hugh Jackman comes in through the door, and uh, we get a movie that's honestly kind of enjoyable when you're actually watching it, but then you walk out of the theater and you're like, "I don't remember anything that happened except for those fight scenes, which were kind of cool." And uh, yeah. But no, what Akebi actually says is, one of us dies, which is an exaggeration, I'm sure. But uh, they say, oh, yeah, it's a real steel match, which means that we're actually using real weapons. So let's let this 14-year-old that we don't know use an actual metal bladed weapon in a martial arts fight before assessing his abilities and his qualifications to use it in actual combat. Well, Nick, where are the adults? <laughs> well, this is a magic martial arts school, so they. Oh, it's not magic. Oh, they're just no. idiots. Oh, okay, never mind then. Carry on with your dangerous, dangerous exercises. Do you think that like the teachers at the school just occasionally show up after like you know, and they just show up to like your blood all over the wood, and someone's like, oh, no, gonna have to reattach those fingers again. Oh, you kids. Johnny, do you kids have another one of your real steel fights? We told you, you can't keep killing children. Our insurance premiums are through the goddamn roof. <laughs> you uh, make sure that you uh, pour some of this powder on that over there. It uh, helps the blood get out of the wood. And uh, all right. And um, we are going to uh, just uh, hit this kid on the head really, really hard until he forgets why his fingers feel weird when we reattach them to his hand. All right. <laughs> Let's go. So, um... <sighs> Sorry. <laughs> so, Jokuro gives an explanation of the difference between Bojutsu and Budo. Spear fighting is Sojutsu. But there is no sodo, right? The term budo emerged in modern times. They made the matches more like a sport, establishing judges 
and clear rules that make it easier for spectators to follow. But by contrast, Bujutsu originated in the chaos of war. In other words, ways to kill. It's dangerous. They're using real weapons, and they're fighting as if they're going to try and kill each other, even though they're not. So Neru gets an image of a skeleton stabbing him through the torso, and Joker is like, obviously I won't kill you. <laughs> but if you participate, whether we use practice weapons or real steel, or if you're an amateur or just some kid, expect no mercy. So, yeah. But Nero gets excited about this, and he's like, oh man, I feel a sense of fear. But it's probably just the fear of failure, right? And he like clasps his hands as if he's like in prayer, but he looks like confident and smirky for a second. Instead, Akebi gives him a, a sword and says, hey, start with a bow. And they're like, who is this kid? And then they start fighting and hoo, ha, hoo, ha, hoo, ha, hoo, ha. oh man, he's not, he's just charging straight in. He's not thinking about this weapon's superior reach at all. And oh shit. Which is a technique. big point, Nick. Weapon triangle has always said lances are better than swords. Yeah, but it turns out he's got a lance killer. So. Oh no. <laughs> not or only is it really stronger against it, it does extra damage against lance users. Yeah, or whatever. Uh, so he does the technique that he saw the sword club guy do after only seeing it once. And, uh, he draws a little bit of blood, uh, because he actually hits the guy in the shoulder. So that's nice. And, uh, they're like, oh man, he just did it after only seeing it once. And then Akemi's like, oh, you can do it without drawing the move. And there is like, oh, I already drew the move. I traced it in the air. That's how I know tech to learn and memorize techniques. And they're like, oh, man, his hand-eye coordination is outstanding. And Nero says, if I just imagine myself succeeding, I feel good. And I'm excited to see my strongest self. And there's, that's it. <laughs> Look, um, we said before, um, like, kind of based off the first chapter don't know what i really feel about this series but gonna be kind of openly optimistic to see if maybe it gets interesting i will say this i do not think the series got worse but it is still just not an interesting series i don't know what it is this is this is the scorpio sky of manga i appreciate it don't give it a mic it sucks charisma from everything else around it <laughs> But we put him with all elite Ethan Page. <laughs> uh, it it's not so much that, yeah, it it it's worse than the last time. It's just a matter of when new series get introduced, you've got a scale and you got two bags, and one bag is full of patience and the other is full of excitement. And the first one starts off full and the other starts off empty. And you better start filling that one up so that your expectations stay positive. Otherwise, it's just going to be a goat. It's going to stay down there and the whole and that 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 bag is going to collapse and it's all going to be gone. And uh, yeah, so you um, my 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 bag of uh, of excitement has not filled up at all. And my bag of patience is emptying quickly. And that's what's <laughs> happening. So. 
Yeah, I uh, I think he said it pretty well. Doctor Stone, time to get Stone, Nick. So you couldn't hear it, but you fragmented right. on my end, and you made a really good tune for a moment there. It was like a, it was like the start of like a, a fucking Pugsy stage from the Sega Genesis or something like that. It was great. Okay, it's. It's Dr. Stone. Z equals 204. The universe is written in the language of mathematics. Oh, so it turns out uh, this was a yeah. math geek uh, week. Yeah, so. Uh, so everyone's cleared away, cleared out the Suez Canal. They are making their way through it so that they can go to India and they just do it. They, they go through it. They arrive in India in this chapter. Makes it easy. Nice. Okay. Um, Kohaku asks, what are we going to actually be after once we arrive in this place? And Ryusui says, the universe is written in the language of mathematics. That's a quote from Galileo Galilei. What we're after is that universal language, the wisdom of humanity itself. We call math wisdom. It is definitely intelligence. But anywho. So, um, Chrome and Kohaku get excited and then they're like, Okay, but what does that mean, actually? Uh, and Ryusui says, well, that missile that we used before, we could guide it like with just remote control, but if we're actually going to go to space, we are actually going to need to do really complicated mathematics so that we reach the right trajectory. It's an incredibly complicated process, so we need that knowledge. And they're like, well, why don't we just use Senku? And Senku says, oh, I don't do the same thing as rocket science. I do a lot of really quick calculations and I actually do a lot of guesstimations, which given some of the stuff he's been able to execute, I think he's giving himself a little bit too little credit, but given the incredibly precise calculations associated with rocket science, fine. I believe you. So they need math power. And Ryusui says, it so happens that Nanami Corporation founded a university to cultivate human resources in India. Good for them. Okay. Uh, also, there's a little bit of, like, stereotyping, I think, going on. But I'm not familiar enough with... From Inagaki? <laughs> but I'm not familiar enough with the differences between education systems of different nations to know if this is true or not. Because Ryusui says, oh, yeah... In in India, they just memorize the times tables up through all the double digits. I'm like, do they? Okay, I'll believe you. Whatever. Sure, why not? So, but he says that they are looking for someone that Ryusui knows, Sao, Sai, rather. Uh, and they're like, oh, okay. Yeah, that's a, common, that's a common name in India. Sure. But he says that Sai is a genius mathematician whose brain power is a million times the average person's. Okay. So they arrive in India and they immediately are like, Curry! All right. Well, we got to get the greatest hits out of the way. Um, what other but, things do you uh, yeah. think of when you think of uh, India in a, a racist way, Nick? You think of Curry? Uh, maybe some of those. Yeah, maybe some of those multi armed gods. I wonder if they'll show up somewhere in this chapter. Oh, boy. Um, they bring up that, hey, you know, uh, 
because Kohaku mentions like, you know, it's a good thing that we didn't have to delay our trip too much because we've got to make our way back. And if we had waited much longer, I would have ended up being older than Ruri. And that would have kind of made things a little bit awkward. Uh, meanwhile, Suika's over here like, yeah, we're the same age now. So, <laughs> <laughs> But um, they also mentioned like it might be it's kind of worrisome, like, hey, the more time that goes by, the more chance that like people could get broken apart by the elements and have different parts of them washed away. But Kohaku says, I'm sure Ruri looked after everyone and told everyone to get into huddled defensive postures so that that wouldn't happen. We may be separated by land and sea, but siblings understand each other. Okay. So they say this, and then uh, they make their way around, and they just kind of, we just get like a very brief little montage of them digging through the area because Ryusuke's like, my captain's instincts don't lie. I know the location where they are buried. And uh, he's like, I know exactly where Sai would have been because the wave of petrification would have reached this part of India around 930 in the morning when classes were about to begin. And during his free time, Sai was always glued to his laptop. So where's a place that he would be alone and with a decent signal? I bet he must have been on the school's roof. And uh, so they they're like, OK, if we start, if we use that as a starting location, then we can figure out where he where he went to based off of the geography and the surrounding area. Chelsea and Senku work together to gather up some clues. And surely enough, they find Sai, who looks like Asura for reasons. You know, uh, it just uh, is. Yeah, so... They look at him and they're like, huh, he looks half Indian, half Japanese, which when we see him, I don't know if I believe that. But uh, so <laughs> no, Nick, he's very hot. They depetrify him. And oh, my God, he's gorgeous. <laughs> and he's like, what's going on? Did you people save me? Thank you. Uh, and Ryusui looks, is like, ah, Sai! And Sai turns and sees him, and he freaks out and starts running away. And they're like, what, why is he running away? What's going on? And Kohaku, of course, immediately runs him down because she's Kohaku. Uh, and they're like, why are you raising so much of a fuss? And Sai's like, no! I fled all the way to India, and it wasn't far enough! I refuse to return to Nanami Corps! And as long as you're involved! And everyone looks at Ryusui, and he's like, his full name is Sai Nanami. He's my he's my big brother. <laughs> and that's why we had the thing about siblings understanding each other it, even, it even was, miles apart. It so. was one of that one of those moments where I was like, Oh, I picked up on the thematic uh symmetry of it. And I was like, Oh wait, maybe it's less that it was more a reminder of siblings before this character got introduced because I, I couldn't I tried to muster up like any kind of real interest when it was like you're Ryusuke's brother. And I was just like, I don't like Ryusuke enough that I care that he has family. <laughs> so, yeah, that's been established. He has very weird markings because like his the 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 scars from the petrification, like completely engulf his hands, which is a which is quite a look. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, I don't really know exactly how I feel about this. I think that once we get more familiar with him, then we can make a judgment call and then decide. Eh. Yeah. Hey, Joel turned out to be okay. So yeah, I was gonna say I, I'm not gonna judge this character too much. I do like the being like, oh, he's such a hottie, and I'm like, oh, another twink to the party. Okay. <laughs> but listen, uh, this is why Doctor Stone is getting by. Okay. <laughs> hey, yeah, you gotta you gotta go with the audience you're you're going with, but. Um, it is definitely something where I'm just like, okay, you know, I'll I'll go along with this, but I don't find this chapter particularly compelling in a lot of ways. I do understand Already. why we're going to different places. I think that's always been the plan. And it was one of those things like, I don't have like a regional thing for India to have, but I want to go there. So I'm just going to say they're great at math. Like, even if like the edge, like it feels like that's something that's less easy to justify than like, oh, they only have these minerals in south america or right, corns yeah like where you can find corn is really going to be over there that's the only one that would have survived you know it's just like all right we're just going to go around the world we need reasons to go to these different places yep we'll see how long they spend here considering that they spent like two chapters in spain so yeah <laughs> all right nick let's talk about mashal magic and muscles chapter 76 walbert Boggan. And the greatest danger. So, Wahlberg... Da-da-danger! Da-da-danger! Uh, okay, it's, just, it's just chapter 70. Chapter 70. What did I say? 76. Oh. Sorry, I don't have my glasses. I do have my glasses on. My eyes are just bad. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, last time, Wahlberg unleashed his, uh, his, his space's thirds technique, Uranus Inclination. And they say, yes, a, a spell that unleashes the god's power dwelling within the wand. Your power certainly has declined with age. And Walberg just says, I'm certain you're aware of the magic of Uranus, god of the sky, which erases all within a space, cannot be avoided. And Cicero's just like, Walberg, you dare. He says, as the headmaster of the school, I would go even further than this. It begins- Do you think that uh, um, Walberg just does a thing with him occasionally to piss him off where he trails off to indicate that he's done talking. And then as soon as he starts, Innocent Zero starts like that. And, uh, <laughs> I'm so aware that spells cast like this cannot be avoided. You different things. And as the headmaster of this school. <laughs> uh, oh God, I hate fighting old people. <laughs> Innocent Zero is just using his time power to fast forward through the conversation to get to the points where he does attacks. Hold B to skip conversation. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he says, as you must be aware, no manner of attack can affect one who can control time. So there isn't it. You know, he's, he's rewinding himself away, shooting off his little attacks, and Wahlberg's taking more of these wounds. He's like, yeah, you won't survive these wounds, but the attack's still going. He's like, wait, how how can the magic continue when the caster has suffered fatal wounds? Walberg explains that thirds unleashes the true power inside the wand. If you pour enough magic into it, even if the caster should die, then the will of the wand will cast the spell on its own. And he has been saving his power for this moment. My third will tear you apart in exchange for my life. So the third Hokage is going to die. And he thinks mm. this world could be so much better. It could be a place where we respect each other and accept our weaknesses. That is why I must save them. Those weak, fragile souls, they who were like me long ago, 
That is why I must lead my students from the fore, like Guy Master did for me. I will show them through action. And there's just a gigantic explosion of light. But it didn't activate. Yep. He reversed time and just kills Wahlberg, just blows another one of his little wand kunai things straight through uh, Wahlberg's side and uh, grabs him by the hair and just says, you're strong, Wahlberg, but I will be stronger. I live only for myself. You will never surpass me. And Wahlberg just thinks, how cruel is fate? Our ideals doomed to be never realized. Was the world I envisioned so fragile that a small-minded, selfish belief can crush it underfoot? Alas. And it looks as though Wahlberg's about to be smashed in the face. But then Mash shows up and hits him with the fucking Kinshasa! Kinshasa! Oh, gotcha! Boom! Now, it is uh, Shinsuke Nakamura, so we won't get the pin off of it. <laughs> well, uh, that remains to be seen. Is this... Smackdown 2021 fighting with fucking Baron Corbin over a fake crown, Shinsuke Nakamura, or is it multiple time IWGP Intercontinental Champion, NXT Champion, multiple time NXT Champion Shinsuke Nakamura who actually beat people? <laughs> <laughs> I think this is probably going to be the latter. So he actually maybe will do something here, but I, I, I do, uh, I do enjoy that 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 shot there. Um, I love it mostly because it's a very sudden entry. Yes, it's a great entry, and I also love Innocent Zero's stupid face in the shot because he's been doing all of it, and then he just says, "Shut up!" I want next next happening. (laughs) Next chapter should just be like that shot, that scene from JoJo Part Five when he's being punched with Gold Requiem for the first time, Bukarati, and it's like five straight pages of going. That's what the next chapter should be: is just him using his time powers to be like. What the fuck's happening to just his face going all over? Like, what? how did he get? We were in the sky. How did he get here? <laughs> oh, 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 God. Yeah. His explanation is as stupid as his explanations always are. So, um, yeah, I guess it's possible that Wahlberg won't be going away just now. Uh, so we'll see. Maybe. I, I think it's still up in the air, but yeah, it's it's definitely possible. Uh, considering he was going to sacrifice his life to cast the magic, and then he didn't cast the magic because he was rewound. Yeah. Okay, let's go on to The Elusive Samurai, Chapter 24, Mysteries, 1334. We begin the chapter with Tokuyuki asking Ayako and Kojiro where he can get some eel. Uh, And they say, oh, okay, yeah, we can get some from the river. Why Why do you want an eel? And Tokuyuki's like, uh, I just have a sudden craving. But uh, he's thinking to himself, oh, I've got I've got to keep this a secret because Yorishige has lost his divine power. And so I, I can't uh, let anyone know that sometimes he loses it. And so Yorishige is sending him off to get various p- possible cures. The first one is eel. And so, you know, Yorishige eats the eel. And Toki asks, Yuki asks him, why would this re- restore your power? And he says, oh, I mean, various things have returned my power in the past. This has worked before. So I'm going to try each one based on the past experience. And uh, it's really good, really good. Uh, but my divine power isn't returning, so I guess this wasn't the answer. Bring me the next item, Tokyuki-sama, but don't reveal what it's for. So Tokyuki goes and he, he asks uh, some of the shrine maidens for Alpine Leak and goes and gets them. And 
or you should get munches on them. Ah, it's not working. So he goes and gets some uh, some di- some divine rope from a, from another shrine attendant, and uh, he Yorishiki tries to meditate with inside that. It doesn't work. He goes to someone else, gets a shrine maiden's outfit. Why do you need this? Uh clothing interests me. But uh, people see him run off and fashion it around like a, a like a straw doll into uh, you know a, a, a semblance of a priestess. <coughs> so uh, Toki's like, okay, now that I've made it up, now to make, turn, to bring it over to Yorishige. But then he overhears that uh, his followers, his attendants in the bushes are watching him. They're like, wait a minute. He's eating aphrodisiacs and he's making a life-size doll and he's getting rope for binding. Does our young lord have... He's going to fuck that doll. (laughs) (laughs) And like, I mean, he's eight, right? He wouldn't be, right? But then... (laughs) Ayaka says, you don't understand. All spoiled brats are perverts. (laughs) (laughs) And Fubuki says, now, now, we must remain loyal, even if he is a pervert. (laughs) (laughs) I do like them all great. Like, we'll stay loyal. But yeah, man. (laughs) What a pervert. (laughs) So Tokiyuki just like, ah, so this is what my life has come to. (laughs) (laughs) But then he busts into Yorishige's quarter. He's like, what have you been making me do? (laughs) It's all the, all of the things that I'm a pervert. Why? 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 And Yorishige's like, don't worry about that. An air of mystery will increase their admiration. No! <laughs> You've got to tell them. Who, I don't care about your secret. You've got to tell them. <laughs> so they don't think I'm a pervert. <laughs> Yorishige, tell them you lost your powers and I'm not a pervert. <laughs> I'm not a pervert. Tell everybody. I'm not a pervert. You're a pervert. I don't know what the perverted young lord is talking about. <laughs> Look at all the future I can see where the young lord's a pervert. <laughs> but he says, okay, okay, okay. One more try. And if this doesn't work, I'll just give up, okay? So uh, if you walk down to Mount Moria, there's a sacred, uh, it's sacred to the Sewer Grand Shrine. Fetch water from that sacred stream. If I drink that, I'll be right as rain. And Tokyuki's like, why didn't you just do that first? And Yorishige says, oh, because I wanted to eat some eel and all finally. <laughs> so in his typical, is he a good mentor or is he not kind of way? However, what we get from this point, Tokyuki, of course, has all of his doubts about, about what Yorishige is trying to do. And he's like, God, I'm still not even sure that divine power even exists at all at this point. I mean, everything he's done so far could have been mere chance. And he's got this military force, so why does he rely on this vague power? But then, as he makes his way to the stream, he sees this dazzling light. And within the light, he sees Shizuku in her full garb. And she's got various uh, tools, like a fan in one hand. uh, And she is dancing around on a rock in the middle of the stream. And as she dances, Tokiki realizes, oh, she's doing the Kagura dance offered to the gods. Is this an illusion? It looks like she's playing with specks of light. What's going on? And Shizuku spots him and asks him what he's doing there. And he's like, oh, yeah, I, I can't get some water. Uh, what are you doing? And Shizuku says, oh, I was praying with them. 
for the accomplishment of your goals and the prosperity of Sua and peace of the world. And Tokugi's like, who's them? Who are you talking about? And Shizuku realizes, ah, if my father sent you here, that he wants you to see them. She says, hey, can you lean forward and close your eyes? She gives him a little peck on the, on the side of the head. And she says, now you can see them for a short time. And when he opens his eyes, he sees various spirits, the divine beasts of the Sua, in what is a really gorgeous full-page yes. spread. It uh, is phenomenal. It's really, really cool. Uh, there's like, you know, a, a multi-tailed fox. There is a bizarre fish. There is like a jackalope kind of thing. Really, really stunning uh, imagery. And Shizuku explains to Tokyuki, these beasts do not grant strength, but prayer will invoke their protection. And Tokyuki recognizes that one of them is Botan, the, the boar that they killed early on in the series. Yeah, and he's fucking just chilling out, smoking a stick, yeah. man. He's fucking living yeah. life. A lot of them are smoking, actually. Yeah. <laughs> and Tokyuki is, you know, astounded. He's like, oh my God, these things actually exist. And we get narration that explains that this era was the last time that human beings could exist alongside such mysteries. In this time, you know, reports that, oh, uh, people saw a yokai, a tengu flew over the town. These were reported as simple fact in official documents. And, of course, that's not done anymore. And so we and because of this, uh, you know, many temples and shrines boasted an earnest of these the accomplishments of their shrines as a result of prayers to them and so they took credit for oh the divine wind that crushed the mongol mansion that was thanks to the sua grand shrines invocations and stuff and because of this shrines were rewarded for their service and uh, that's also why they received such funding so shizuku uh notes okay well also if father asks you to come here his power must be weakening and so she fills up the cup that uh tokyuki brought with them with water from the stream and plants a little kiss on the side of it. And she says, this should replenish him now. And Tokyuki takes it and then he looks back at the stream and already the beasts that he saw, they appear faint. They're just glowing spots in the air that don't seem to like they could even interact with the world. And he wonders, why did Yorishige show me this? And then he looks at Shizuku and he thinks to himself, I still barely know you too. And then before we end the chapter, we cut to uh, Takauji, who has drawn an image of the Buddha on the wall with a big brush. And he says, it's a fine illustration. Summon Tadayoshi, so we may discuss the drawing of my ascension. So this was a gorgeous chapter. Uh, oh. About a third of the way through, I had no idea that it would end the way that it does, but it was beautiful, honestly. Yeah, I would say it was like a funny chapter at the start, and then that page turned when he could see all the, the spirit guardians, and I was like, holy shit. It was kind of a moment of like almost sort of turning something on when it came to this series a little bit, where I was like, like I, I, I've talked about the art before, but it was just one of those things where like, this is fucking beautiful, like just phenomenal in every way when i read this chapter at the end i thought to myself the series is special yeah and i've had that experience when reading manga very few times in my life so 
yeah, it's 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 incredible. So if you have not been reading Elusive Samurai while we've been talking about it, I highly encourage you to do so. It's really worth your time. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. All right, Nick, let's wrap up this week then by talking about Black Clover, page 299, The Sound of the End. Last time, Medjugula had come fully to life. Noelle tried to stop her, but uh, her saint stage has run out, so she seems to be done for. Medjugula is basically opening the chapter by taunting her, saying, you know, if you managed to unleash more saint start stage attacks, you couldn't even reach me at this point. This entire area is filled with my decaying world spell. No one could come save you. Even if they reached you, they would be helpless. That's enough reason to give up, don't you think? This was fun, human. And uh, Noelle seems pretty intimidated, but we cut over to Gaja, who uh, has been stabbed through the chest. And uh, Dean is, is very sad about this. And he puts both of his fingers on Lola Pachika's head and says, This won't hurt. Forgive me, my queen. Looks like it hurts. Because he does his attack, lightning magic, and shoots lightning through her. And he said, this will keep her from moving for a few seconds. And then he goes on in a monologue. He says, that day I decided to destroy our enemies in your place and protect the kingdom. Even so, six months ago, I failed to state magic, stop Magicula and Vandica's attacks, and you were cursed. No apology will ever be enough. We see like the little cuts, you know, the little flashback to... Back when that happened, and Lola Pachiga's like, no, no, it's I'm, I'm still glad I'm alive. Thanks, It's all thanks to you, and the fact that no one got hurt makes me happy, so it's all good. He says, I tried to protect the citizens, the country, everything. As a result, you become this twisted shape. You've been forced to do whatever what you had never wanted to do, hurt others. I really am unfit to be a spirit guardian. So more than the kingdom, it was you I wanted to protect. I won't let them kill you. I won't let them kill you. I won't die from the wounds you gave me. I'll convert my very life into magic and turn it and and destroy the devil who caused all this. Here and now, this time I will save you. And he uses ultimate lightning magic, Apocalypse Astraza, and it's basically a giant lightning beam. And uh, Magical is like, uh, decaying world can't erase that. <laughs> and uh, it seems to blast through straight through uh, Lola Pachika and uh, or uh, Magicula and Lola Pachika. No, it's just Magicula. Never mind. Sorry. Yeah, Magicula, who is detached from Vanika in the moment that he unleashes yeah. the attack. So the attack blows, uh, goes straight through the castle at that point, and uh, Noel runs up and says, "Just one more attack. I don't care if it's weak. I just need enough Saint Saint, saint Stage power to pierce the exposed weak point." Uh, but when she gets up there, uh, we can see Gaja, who is uh, pretty burnt up, and we see in the mists what looks like Medjugula in perhaps an even stronger form. Yeah, looks like it didn't have the uh, impact that Gaja intended it to have. Also, um, he uh, seems like he might still be alive uh, because he's still you know, physically there, but we'll see. Uh, I do really like the little elements that Noelle's like, I can't call on, you know, my full super armor, super sword transformation thing. So she just concentrates into a shiv and just yeah. like, I just need to pierce her with this. I just need to hit her with this. It's 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 a cool little uh, touch. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <coughs> Sorry about that. <sighs> and I do like the note that God just says, um, I won't have you be responsible for me dying. <laughs> but 
maybe <laughs> saying positive things about Black Clover is killing me, so I should stop. Uh, Nick, you can't do this to yourself. Um, it is also worth noting this was a very short chapter, <clears throat> so I, I do want to express all of my thoughts to Tabata to please take care of yourself. Uh, I do not want you to uh, hurt yourself writing this series. It does seem to be a very <clears throat> incomplete chapter, not in terms of artwork, uh, as it usually seems to manifest with Black Clover, but in terms of pacing. So it does end in an awkward moment. Um, but given the circumstances that Tabata is going through, I can't really blame that on anything. So I still, I still enjoy the chapter. Um, it is cool. I'm looking forward to they're, they're slowly doing a good job building up Mitchakula to be like, who <clears throat> can take this person down? Cause pretty much everyone here has pulled out all the stops and no one's able to do it yet. So <laughs> putting over the monster heel. Yeah. Got to wait for Hulk Hogan coming <laughs> and beat you in 10 seconds or whatever it was. Man, can you imagine Hulk Hogan in any Shonen series? Jesus Christ. I mean, that's what Asta was at the start for, for a pretty really long was. time. Except Asta had more moves. Yeah. <clears throat> Did he? So. Hogan had the leg drop, forward punches, big and boobs. big boot. Asta, Asta doesn't have that many swords. I think you're out of it. I think you lost, Nick. <laughs> Yeah, but Asta did have that one span where, like, for comic effect, he beat up the former villain by putting him in a bunch of different wrestling holds. Oh, okay. Put him in, like, an, ad- an, an abdominal stretch and a cross-arm breaker. So, Hogan doesn't know those holds. So. <laughs> no, he doesn't. <laughs> Rake to the back. Okay, so, yeah, that's my manga for this week. Unfortunately, with Black Clover bending a very, very suddenly, it doesn't have a very conclusion you feel but that is where we are so uh we will wrap things up by going over not our mvps because we're in agreement almost everyone's in agreement it's Nabutiku. It's, it's yeah again some people were wrong maybe they didn't <laughs> read the chapter or maybe maybe they wrote the wrong name down like they got confused uh, I don't know really how you misspelled a putaku for Uraraka, yeah. but you know whatever. Uh, you know it's got a, it's got an AK sound. Yeah, in there. I guess. But uh, uh, so there we go. But what was uh, your favorite uh, series this week? What was your favorite chapter? Uh there were some really good ones this week. Uh, I th- uh, I might still just give it to my hero, or not my hero. Sorry, uh, Magu Chan got a destruction. I I think it's just a really good, solid, exciting chapter. There's a lot of implications to it that I like to. We get a little more confirmation about uh, Magu, or sorry, not Magu, Ruru's father, and he was sick. That's why he's passed, and even in the dream world, he's still kind of sick. So there's there's that going yeah. forward. We get a little bit of the tease of Muscar's past, which I assume we're probably following up on pretty quickly, maybe next chapter even. It's uh, sad that even in a you are being magically made to experience like the best possible dream, Ruru still thinks of her dad as being sick, which given that the age at which she was when her dad passed, she probably most of her memories of him were just him being deathly ill. So that's sad, man. (laughs) Yeah, it's pretty brutal. Um, 
I agree with you that there were a number of good chapters this week. I thought that Undead Luck, Unluck was good. Uh, thought Kaiju number eight was a simple and effective introduction to this character. Magu, really good. But uh, my favorite chapter this week, very easily, the Eternal Samurai, uh, the Elusive Samurai. I, I keep on saying that. Oh, well. But, um, yeah. It could, thought, it could be like yeah. me. I still have, I still don't know Nine Dragons. Oh, I actually got it right for once. Nine Dragons Ball for You did. I got it. Yeah. No, I well, learned I mean, it. It's gone it's now. Over. You're going to get it right every time. So. <laughs> it's going to be those words I say on my deathbed. I'm just like, nine dragons ball parade. And they're going to think that means something. They're going to be like, he buried a treasure. We have to find it. There's nine balls. There's nine dragons. They, they're still getting it mixed up. <laughs> <laughs> nine parades we have to find. That involve dragon balls. What are that? What is that? <laughs> Oh, come on. Dragon Ball Super Super will still be fucking running at that point. Oh, come on, Chris. You had a you had a prime opportunity to call it Dragon Ball Super Duper, and you didn't. Ah, I know. I'm an idiot. <laughs> I'm a fool. But anyway, The Elusive Samurai was really good. Like I said, when I read it, I was like, the series is special. And if you're if, if a chapter makes me have that reaction, I can't not give my chapter of the week. So exactly. Uh, the audience, by the wow. Um. Okay, never mind. Sorry. Some stuff changed very briefly for a moment. My hero won the audience. There was a moment it looked like maybe there was a bunch of ties, but I think there was just an error on the board uh, for a hot second. My hero won the chapter of the week from the audience. Okay. So that is going to do it for Weekly Manga Recap this week. We want to thank you guys for joining us. We record the show here on Wednesday evenings, usually starting around 7.30 Eastern time. To stay updated on exactly when we're going to record the show, you can follow us on Twitter at Demora Podcast is the official podcast account. Your hosts are at RolloT and at Nick F. Time. And you can also join our Discord server where we will send out a link to uh, everyone in the general chat when the stream goes live. That is also a great place to uh, speak with our community uh, over the series that we are covering each week. We also have a discussion section for the manga that we cover and the recap portion. All sorts of good stuff. And uh, bi-weekly game nights are held on Tuesdays and Saturday mornings as well. Yes. Because Saturday morning is a game night, I guess. Good job, Nick. So um, in addition to that, you can also use that to find the Google Doc that is maintained by Ninja X. Which keeps track of all sorts of helpful statistics associated with the show, recommendations that we have taken. You can add your own recommendations. You can ask questions for us to answer on an eventual QA episode, all sorts of good stuff. Thanks, Ninja, for helping out with that. We also want to thank everyone who supports us on Patreon, patreon.com slash recap, where we do bonus content for you guys to enjoy. Most recently, a special WMR Lives, where we looked at the best chapters as voted on by you guys of 2020. We also want to thank everyone who uh, listens to the show wherever it can be found on our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash weekly manga recap on weekly manga recap.podbean.com on SoundCloud. Not wait, we're not SoundCloud. We're on Spotify. That's where we're <laughs> on, though. Uh, anywhere that the podcast is available, you can check it out there, basically. And uh, last but not least, we want to thank the people who help make the show what it is. Uh, Steve Manor, Tyler Kodarist, you can check out his artwork wherever boobs are allowed to be drawn on the internet and you can see his title cards occasionally on the video editions of the show as they are posted to our YouTube channel. And speaking of our YouTube channel, we want to thank Milo Jackson and Winsley Del Cheddar for creating the opening sequence of weekly manga recap that you can see in every single episode on our YouTube channel. So. Absolutely. All right. That is going to do it. I think, uh, we, we so. said everything we're going to mm-hmm. and, uh, nothing left but the news. 
Did someone used to say that? I don't know. All right. Well, we're just going to, uh, if they did, I'm taking it now. Nothing left but the news. All right. I play uh, another swamp and in my turn. <gasps> Is this a tease for next week? Maybe. <gasps> it better be. Otherwise, I'll sound like a crazy person. <laughs> and you're playing mono black. Well, I played black and blue. I'm playing Island, too. Oh, Demir, you fucking tryhard. 